With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. What is up, everybody? Good evening and welcome to episode number 124 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, December the 25th, Christmas Day, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to the show. I want to thank last Saturday's guests. We had Eric Myers and Adam Gray joining for the PWCC Premier Auction. Thanks to those guys. We had a great time, as we always do. want to let you all know, tomorrow night on Collectible Live, 7 o'clock Eastern, my guest will be Mark Sadov, also known as Empire State Sports Cards on Instagram. We will be going live on the Collectible YouTube channel at 7 p.m. Eastern. Also, guys, check out my new series on the Mint Collective YouTube channel called Today's Collector. Four episodes are done. A couple more still to come. Check those out on the Mint Collective's YouTube channel. And next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, we have Carvin Chung joining. Y'all know him. Y'all love him. I hope you do. I do. Carvin will be joining me on New Year's Day for Sports Cards Live. The early show, the late show on After Hours, we have Ryan Nolan who's going to come by and talk about his uh, the fact that he conquered his goal of 52 card shows, 52 shows in 2021. So uh, I, mean, I don't know if anyone else has their pulse on the, the card show vibe better than this guy uh, as far as across the whole uh, United States. All right, I want to shout out Whatnot. You'll see them on the ticker right now, uh, channel supporter Whatnot. Check out their app for one-minute auctions. Buy it nows around the clock from some of the best breakers in the hobby. I will be doing my second live stream on the WhatNot app on Tuesday, December 28th at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. We will be doing uh, singles only, one-minute auction starting at a dollar, goats only, goats only. Also, the Mint Collective, January 28th to 30th in Las Vegas. I'll be there. Hope to see a bunch of you there. I know you will be. And we are also going to be giving away two free VIP tickets to the Mint Collective, courtesy of Sports Cards Live. I'm going to share with you how to do that in just a little bit. So uh, if you are looking to come to the Mint Collective and you don't yet have your ticket, you have a chance to win one of two tickets uh, through this show right now. And uh, that that uh, sweepstakes will be on for a couple of weeks. And thank you to all the podcast listeners. 
your loyalty is uh, does not go unnoticed. Really appreciate it. And all the subscribers and viewers to the show, greatly appreciate all of you as always. I, I've been saying for a couple days now, I've been looking forward to this episode. We're going to have a nice, chill, relaxed time. I'm going to try and slow it down a little bit. And uh, because uh, our guest tonight, Rob, he's a pretty chill dude. So I think we're going to just have a nice, uh, a nice relaxing discussion with him. We have some points, some uh, bullet points to talk about and uh, look forward to your comments as well. But let's get to it. Tonight's guest, he had his first taste of cardboard in 1988 when his dad gave him 20 bucks to go spend at the local card shop. He collected through the late 90s when he took a break. He came back in 2011, started buying up the cards that he cherished back in the 90s. Took another break and came back full force last year, starting up his podcast this past May. His favorite teams are the New York Yankees and the New York uh, Giants. Favorite athletes are Mickey Mantle and Hulk Hogan, originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut, currently hailing from Middlebury, Connecticut. Let's bring him out. Rob Gerard. welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you? Jeremy, what's going on, man? I feel like that was a... uh... That was like a pro boxing boxing introduction, man. That was incredible. <laughs> I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That is what I. That is the whole purpose of it. It's like you're walking into the boxing ring. Sports cards live. Well, it is not the boxing ring. That's sort of the the vibe the intro should have. But hey, it's uh, it's good to have you on the show, Rob. Uh, as I said, I've been looking forward to this. You know, we had, we had to make the decision: Are we going to do a show on Christmas Day? You know, it's generally a day where people are just relaxing with family, but it dawned on me that, you know, by the time we end up, by the time Sports Cards Live goes live, most people, families are sleeping, people are exhausted from a busy couple days of of eating and uh, enjoying the festive season with family, and then there's people that are kind of hanging out alone, you know, their family's far away, and, uh, or they're, they're isolating, you know, or they're staying uh, without many people because of the, the pandemic, so I thought, you know, yeah, let's do it. Uh, my family's sleeping, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming yours is too. We get to hang out, and why not uh, hang out with some uh, some fellow hobbyists and just enjoy uh, winding down Christmas Day? So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think if if we were talking Christmas Eve, that might be a different story. Christmas Eve, it's 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 a little chaotic, but yeah, Christmas Day, I couldn't have said it any better, man. And we had we had some great sports on television in the background today, and uh, you know some good NFL action, some NBA games as always, and and as always, man, you know I was just periodically checking my phone for you know eBay auctions. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what we do. I can't tell you how many times I did the same thing today. You know you're. You're, and in a way, you're kind of wondering, you know, maybe everybody isn't doing that. So you might get first look on a couple of things on some of your saved searches and that that type of thing. I wasn't, uh, I don't feel like I got lucky today on eBay finding anything. But how about yourself? Did anything uh, catch your eye? Well, I'll tell you what. So I had a great conversation um, with a guest on my show recently, and he's a big vintage guy. And and. I like to think I'm a big vintage guy until you actually meet a big vintage guy. And then you realize like, you know what? Okay. Maybe I'm not as big of a vintage guy as I thought I was, but it always kind of like stokes the fire, you know? And, uh, and ever since having the conversation with him, I've, I've really just been after, I really want like a, um, maybe like a, a, a Gaudi, maybe like a 1933 Ty Cobb card, if I can find one in my price range. And then also if I could, get my hands on a bill russell rookie i mean that would be ideal 
but um but you know i mean these cards man they they really don't go down and that's the thing with vintage cards too is it's like they really hold their value so even when it feels like most of the market is down when you start talking these high-end cards high-end cards usually don't fall victim as as greatly as like a modern day card i agree i agree completely the modern day card will fluctuate with the on field on ice on court uh activity and performance whereas the uh the vintage more or less moves with with the economy and the general hobby overall um as far as how much interest there is ongoing but um let's uh let's i want to throw this up on the ticker right now anybody who's not familiar with rob Rob is the host of the Sports Card Therapist podcast, so check that out on your podcast, your your preferred podcast platform. Also, the YouTube channel is Sports Card Therapist, and you can follow him on Instagram, Sports Card Therapist. Let's let's jump off right there, Rob, and talk about why are you why are you the Sports Card Therapist? Take it take it away. Yeah, and you know it's so. A lot of people, when they first see the name, whether if, whether if I'm at a show behind a table or if you know they they come across me on Instagram or something, they're like, "Oh, huh, that's a cool that's a cool name, that's a funny name, I like that, that's funny," and and I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm actually a licensed therapist. I'm a licensed um, psychotherapist, so I do that for a day job." Um, you know, I work with everyone from uh, people that have severe mental health issues to maybe just the worried well. You know, people that are doing fine, but they have a little bit of anxiety. Uh, I work with the inmate population. I work with the home- homeless population. And um, basically, you know, I counsel them. And, uh, and and any way I can in which I can help, that's what I do. So, um, you know, get, jumping back into the hobby full steam ahead, uh, it just kind of felt like the right name i guess you know sports card therapist so that's that's kind of you know where the name came from and and it, it's pretty unique you know i don't think you have to worry about really seeing that name anywhere else or even having anyone that close to a name so you know i just felt right well there is there is another one out there that is close to the name i think it's called sports card therapy uh is another podcast that i listen Those to. savages savages yeah yeah uh it, it's uh it, it's hosted by uh Leighton Sheldon who's a hobby uh veteran of, of of decades and decades and uh now was he a therapist I don't think so I don't th- okay. I think he's a I think he's a sports car dealer vendor yep, yep, yep. uh you know businessman yeah um but uh but it, it I actually confused the two of your podcasts at the beginning until I got to realize and and, and know you both uh through them so uh but uh, but all that said i think one is called sports card therapy you are the sports card therapist so uh i'll take it i'll take it yeah and it's a, and of course you have your style rob you have your uh you know the the way in which you deliver you guys can all tell he's a he he's he's a silky smooth speaker it's uh it's a very you have a ca- very calming a very calming presence and um i can already feel it on myself just slowing down my words and that so Let's go to the comments. Let's see who we have. Let's welcome everybody. It is Christmas. It is Christmas Day. Studio Sports in the house says Merry Christmas. Troy, great to have you here. And uh, thank you for joining as always. Jeff McMahon. We got Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards. Good to have you here, Jake. Merry Christmas to you. And Jake, what's up, man? Merry Christmas. Lapper. I mean, we can say Merry Christmas to everybody. It's a Merry Christmas to everyone out there. 
Hello, Michael Ham, Jordan Hudson. Good to have you. Good to have you. I appreciate that. VIP, very important pimps. That's uh, yes. I do have a couple of uh, VIP tickets for the Mint Collective to uh, give away, and I will share the link where everyone can go. You go to the link, you enter through the link, and it's as simple as that. Joe Perot, what is going on? Justin Bode, always good to see you. We got John G in the house. We got Michael Corbley. Good evening and Merry Christmas. Thomas Newman. The Kamikaze card collector is a big vintage guy. Love See, it. I got to ask a question. When we say big vintage guy, are you, are you a large man? Are you a large human? Or are you just big into the cards? It could go It could go <laughs> either way. And I want to say to the comments you made earlier, Rob, you know, you said, I thought I was big into big vintage. Or you think you're you're a big vintage guy until you meet a big vintage guy. In this hobby, as we all come to learn, there are always people out there that have bigger, better, more valuable uh, collections than, than we all do. And I don't think that's ever going to going to end. Daniel Busby in the house says, I hit I hit two nice two-color Brady patches to on eBay cheaper than I thought they would go for. There you go. Someone found something, some good deals on eBay today. Congratulations, Daniel, for sure. Tell us how that makes you feel, Rob. What <laughs> what do you see when you look at Bulbul base? Too funny, too funny. His nonchalant voice. Yes, Barbara, welcome. Welcome. Jordan Hudson says, I would pay money for him to break a box like a breaker. It might it, it might be very unnatural having uh, having Rob trying to do that. I don't know if you can... Rob, can you... Do you have an aggressive side? Do you have a louder, more boisterous side to you? <laughs> no, that's a that's a pretty mean. funny question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before, even even outside of like <clears throat> sports talk interviews. I definitely have a more assertive side. Um, and I think we all have a little bit of aggression in us, but uh, you know, working with inmates and working with the inmate population, I definitely have to pick and choose when I put a little bit more bass in my voice and when I'm a little bit more direct. You know, um, I've I've been stuck in some pretty pretty scary situations before working in prisons. You know, where where something has like popped off and I was in the middle of what felt like it could have turned into a riot. You know, and um, and being a staff member, I still have to direct things. So I've I've absolutely. I had to get aggressive that day for sure, you know, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, I have, I definitely have my, you know, my, my assertiveness to me, that's for sure. But, you know, I try to, I try to lead with, with, with kindness. That's, that's a great way to lead, man. A great way to lead. Let's say happy holidays to Charles Fuchs. We got Jeff Hart in the house. Charles needs those tickets. Hey, I, good luck to you. Good luck to you. Eric says, I see you have a New Englander on the show tonight. Finally, a little class on the show. <laughs> I mean, Eric, it's not because he's from New England. It's because he's Rob Gerard. That's awesome. That's cool. Chris Chirello, uh, good evening and Merry Christmas to you. Joe Perot has been thinking a lot about Sandy Koufax lately. I know Rob likes Mantle. How does he feel about Sandy Koufax? Rob, give us your thoughts on uh, Sandy Koufax. You know, I think Sandy Koufax is extremely undervalued, extremely undervalued. Yeah, definitely one of the greatest of, of all time. And um, and yeah, you know, undervalued for sure. It should be a great buy. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I was telling Joe earlier today that um, I've been collecting Hall of Fame 
cards my my whole life basically but i started when i started going to the national uh early on in like the mid 2000s my goal was every national to pick up one major hall of famers rookie card and um and i bought my sandy koufax i don't remember the year seven eight nine ten something like that it's a psa seven i think i got it for a thousand dollars which uh which at the time was you know fair price but now obviously that's a that's a a great value but uh love sandy koufax as well yeah, Charles, I hear you here. He says, I thought I had a huge Marvel PMG collection until I met a few online. There is always someone bigger, no doubt. Howdy, PSA 10. Bobby mm. Burrell, what's going on, Bob? Says, hi, guys, my name is Bobby. I'm a collecting <laughs> addict. Yeah, well, Rob, you could be holding one. Of, you could be holding a meeting, that's for sure, for sure. <laughs> Eric says, hi, Bobby. Thanks for sharing. Um, and we shouldn't mock that uh, process whatsoever. Sumo Manko Men, Merry Christmas to you. Mark Kerpinski, maybe the therapist can help me figure out my fascination with the most simple of card sets, the 51 Berkeley Ross. It's got to be something about it that uh, that attracts. Uh, you know, it's an actually an interesting question. I, I, I want to, um, I want to, oh, Burke, the Burke Ross. There we go. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to talk about this, actually. This is a great point that Mark brings up, uh, Rob, because as a therapist. So I, I, want to, I want to appeal to your, your, your professional training and, and skill set. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we, we love the car. We always say nostalgia is, is kind of the thing that drives the, the value in the cards because people, you know, nostalgia is a strong, a strong emotion. And uh, we always want to connect with our younger selves for whatever reason. I think that's the question there. What's the reason, Rob? I say, I just said it, for whatever reason. Why do you think we as collectors, and I know we didn't talk about this. I'm putting you on the spot here. So mm -hmm. why do you think we as collectors um, allow nostalgia to be such a strong force to separate us from our money, consume so much of our time in the hobby, and uh, and just what is it that we love about these? Why is it that we love these little pieces of cardboard so much uh, from, from, from a therapist's perspective? You know, I think that's, uh, that's really like the million dollar question because, you know, you think about childhood, right? How, when you look at like, you know, the yardstick of your life, you know, your childhood is such a small little, little part of, of that entire yardstick and, and whatever happens to us in our childhood usually has just a massive impact on the rest of our life for better or for worse. It doesn't mean we can't overcome a lot of those things, but it definitely does just have this huge impact. And, uh, you know, nostalgia, you know, that, that word is pretty synony synonymous with, I think, you know, good memories. And when it comes to childhood, when it comes to good memories, who wouldn't want to just try to tap into that? You know, who wouldn't want a piece of that? I know for me, Mickey Mantle and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan for me is all about my childhood and Mickey Mantle is all about my connection with my father who is no longer here, you know, because I knew that was his favorite player. So I kind of took the reins with that. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't know if there's an exact answer to that. And I'm, I don't know if I even came close to answering your question, but, um, but yeah, that well, is really the million dollar question. No, and I, I get it. I get your response because it's going to be, I, th I think as, as I think about it, it's going to be different for everybody. I think we all have our own reasons. If you've been in this hobby your whole life or, or if you were, I shouldn't say that if you were in the hobby as a kid 
and and you either stayed in it your whole life or you came back later in life whenever because you remembered those good times as a kid collecting cards with your friends whatever you did with them completing sets playing games with them trading them uh you know we all have those unique memories and um and i think that's a that's a big part of it. so it's probably impossible to answer across the board but maybe the question is and again i I'm, i don't mean to put you on the spot but i will and it's not even on the spot i was just going to say like the nostalgia itself why is nostalgia so strong in us humans and i mean i think part of it and correct me if i'm wrong uh but i think part of it is because when you're younger and you're and you don't understand just how complicated the world is and when responsibility kicks in and when you you know when you have to cover you have to pay for yourself and and uh you know just kind of survive out there um it's a lot different than when we're kids and we think back to whether it's collecting cards or playing video games or whatever we did as, as young kids. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it, it harkens back to that, to those times of, of no responsibility, nothing really to worry about. Maybe we're as, as adults who are dealing with the trials and tribulations of day-to-day life and surviving and, and making a living and all that. We like to kind of, take comfort in what life was like when we were younger and we had none of that uh, pressure on us. Is that part of it? Do you think? 110%. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Yeah. It's just, you know, we just want, I think I'll speak for myself. I just want to go back to when times were simple. Yeah. And and to me, that's exactly what baseball cards do. Baseball cards, luckily were able to mature for me in a way that maybe cartoons weren't and i'm not saying i know plenty of adults that still watch cartoons and that's awesome but i've i kind of grew out of that i grew out of video games even though a lot of my friends haven't that's cool but sports cards for me without a doubt is something i haven't grown out of and i know a lot of people do grow out of them but that's something i think that every time i've thought about sports cards it truly has brought me back to a simpler time when everything seemed all right with the world. Yeah. God, there it is. There it is. All right. A couple of comments based on this uh, thread we're on. Troy says, uh, happy childhood memories is the answer for me. Paul Velboom, welcome, says, even turning nostalgia off, when you realize what sets the cards make, it hap- it makes you want to collect them all, like Hall of Famers, every, every Super Bowl winning quarterback, every MVP, and there's 100 more. Yeah. And that reminds me of all the different sort of PSA set registries that are out there if you wanted to uh, tackle any of them. It makes you want to collect them all. Yeah, as humans, we like to collect. Uh, some of us, anyway, definitely like to collect. Rich Frank, hey, hey, and Merry Christmas to you. So I want to go to Matt's comment here. First of all, Merry Christmas to you, Matt Pime. says, uh, vintage is definitely undervalued when considering modern pricing, especially Clemente, Gordy Howe, and Jim Brown. And this is a comment he's making based on when you were saying how, you know, vintage is under, under, undervalued. And I wanted, I thought that's an interesting word, undervalued. And I have difficulty using it myself because the market sets the prices, right? We, mm. we don't have a perfect, efficient market in sports cards like you do, say, on the stock market. But we have, we still have a pretty well-oiled machine that does you know set the prices on a day-to-day basis and if vintage was truly undervalued shouldn't it catch up shouldn't it become more fairly valued so 
I have been, and if you watch the show, you'll have heard me say, I'll kind of correct myself. If I use the word undervalued, I will pretty quickly re replace it with underappreciated. Mm. I think sometimes the hobby underappreciates certain of these players like Clemente, Gordy Howe, and Jim Brown, three excellent examples of where the hobby just hasn't got there yet on some of them. And I mean, it's, it's weird to say, cause these are legends. These, these three guys have been around longer than us. You know, their, their rookie cards are older than us yet. The hobby still, I feel underappreciates them, which leads to the undervalued, but I think there has to be something before just simply being undervalued. So with that, and I want, I'm willing to sit here and work through this thought process with you, Rob, because I haven't thought it through to a point where I'm like, okay, that's my theory. I'm sticking to it or I'm sticking to it for now until someone presents me a better one. I'm not there yet, but can you, uh, can you kind of, kind of go off of that and tell me what you thought of, of that sort of underappreciated versus undervalued thought? Yeah, I love it because I, I think a big part of the definition of undervalued is not appreciated, you know, or not, not appreciated enough. So basically it is, it is, you know, pretty synonymous, but I guess in our hobby, when you hear the term undervalued, everything so much comes down to a card's value financially. So, so yeah, I, I, I definitely think I meant financially as well. The, the thing is, so, you know, I'm at national, you know, like I know you were at national this last year, right? So I'm at national and Rosemont, um, 2020, 2021 it was 2021. Oh my God. And I forgot we lost 2020 and, and I'm walking around and I'm, I'm just looking at all the beautiful cases and there's just billions of dollars in cards in there. And for me, it, it, it's, it's truly like baffling that a Luca card is going for half a million dollars and say a Peyton Manning is going for and a card of really the same same stature is going for ten thousand dollars and I'm like how is Luca's value and I understand there's two there are two different sports here but regardless how is it that someone is so overvalued in my humble opinion like Luca, who really hasn't accomplished anything. He's got tremendous upside, but he hasn't accomplished anything. And then you have a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, like Peyton, that is like... So the value in the hobby for sure is just so driven by hype. And I think you said it yourself, when it comes to these vintage cards, when it comes to these players that... You know, when you start talking vintage, a lot of them played before a lot of us were alive um, just because there's not that hype there and their legacy is kind of cemented. All of a sudden now it's like, ah, their value doesn't have to be that much. I think it I think that it really comes down to like, in order to frame this in, in our heads, you have to think relativity. It all comes down to relativity. So, you know, Luca is only overvalued compared to other cards you know if or or over appreciated compared to other cards of you know of, of athletes who have done much more let's say so the question really is 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 luca currently overvalued or are these veterans undervalued and i've seen this question posed before we're not breaking ground here with this discussion mm -hmm. but it is interesting and you know 
the hot a year ago. It's basically a year ago this month is when I can really remember the vintage starting to catch up. People saw what was mm. going on with all the modern and they started saying, wait a second. Just like we're saying, if Luca's worth this much, well, Kareem must be worth that much, you know, or John Stockton, right? I mean, you can jump around and talk about all these different guys. And of course, cards of different eras are, are hard to compare. But if you could find a similar card between these players, people started saying, okay, I'm going to start buying up some vintage again because that's where the safety is and these people have proven themselves. And, you know, if you, I mean, I can think back, Rob, going back, I mean, going back 35 years and thinking about players that have been hot in the hobby, as hot as Luca is right now. And and then you 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 look, you know, five, 10 years goes by and I'm not saying this is Luca. He's 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 just he's just the punching bag for all these discussions. It seems like, and that's because of his prison base card. But um, but you then go you you fast forward five or ten years, and they're almost forgotten about a lot of player a lot of these players. I remember like Ladanian Tomlinson was all the rage. I don't I don't see anybody talking about collecting Ladanian Tomlinson anymore. And he was yeah. Well, you know, at least Ladanian. He broke records though. Tomlinson broke the all this the I think the single season scoring record at one point when he was with the Chargers. You know, I mean, I don't know has has Luca broken any records? Yeah, well, exactly, and so that bodes even worse for Luca because I don't see anybody posting Ladanian Tomlinson cards on their Instagram. I don't see anybody talking about him. RG three. I mean, he was the hobby darling for a good oh, yeah. year. And now he's in, he's not just not anymore. So that, and this is why seeing that happen year after year, after year, like decade after decade, I just said, okay, enough's enough. I, I'm just not going to get caught up in that because I just don't feel it, it's not a, it's too risky. I'm, I'm more risk averse than that. So, you know, I put my hobby resources into other play and other places, whether it's active goat type players, you know, like the, the Trouts, the Crosbys, uh, the LeBrons, or into even retired kind of Hall of Famers who have their career done and set. Um, let's go to a couple comments here because we can see, I see some of them coming in here. Uh, Skeppy, welcome, says uh, Clemente is not undervalued at all. What's up, guys? Okay, fair, fair. Uh, Sumo says newer cards tend to be overappreciated. That's, that's 100% true. And that's it, it's the it's the flavor of the month, flavor of the mm. week sort of sort of syndrome in the hobby. It's never going to go away. Just look at how interested everybody is in Lamelo Ball. That's that that is that that is very indicative of what happens every single year. The best time to buy rookie cards is a year after that product comes out. I mean, the card companies might not like to hear that. Not that it matters to them. They sell out of anything, everything anyway. But that's the best time to buy rookie cards once everyone's attention has has uh moved on to the next rookie crop uh rob i like this comment here from jahan says uh, old is gold i mean Ooh. yeah that's if we had a theme for this uh portion of the of, of the episode that would be the theme old is gold well said jahan paul says tomlinson is tough to find pro uniform too most of his stuff is college jersey hmm. here's a good example from rich frank johnny manzel that's another one and there's no shortage of these guys but you know I, Luca's not in that group. I mean, Luca has proven to be very good. He just doesn't have any any awards yet or or any championships yet. But he's proven to be a very good player. 
So it's just similar to like a Connor McDavid. These guys have proven to be great players. Now they just need to win championships. <coughs> Excuse me. Matt says, good call. <coughs> Excuse me. On the hype factor, my experience is that a lot of dealers, even some of the younger ones who really hype Luca Zahn, those folks quietly have vintage centered pieces in their own PC. Well, that's that they're playing both uh, both sides then, I guess. Here's another good example. Tim Tebow, definitely. Joe Pro, as we know, Mantle has always enjoyed tremendous hobby love. I'm curious about Rob's PC and his favorite Mantle cards. Yeah, let, let me run through the. There's only a couple more comments here, and then let's come back to Joe's comment. Troy says, the newer player hype has always been there from when I started in the 80s until now. Some people go for the vintage goats. Others go for the newer guys. Definitely. That, that's the hobby. Global, welcome. Merry Christmas to you from Australia. And Rich Frank says, new cards got that FOMO to them. That's, that's FOMO is a strong, strong emotion. Similar oh, yeah. to nostalgia. I'd like to see, I'd like to see a FOMO versus nostalgia kind of uh, uh, graphic that showed how they relate to each other somehow. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but if anyone out there can come up with how that would look, that'd be an interesting uh, analysis to do. And Colin says vintage is still very hot, but for how long? 15 years, maybe. So Colin is not very bullish on vintage for more than 15 years from now. And I think that's because a lot of these older retired players are going to, um, or I should I should rephrase that. A lot of collectors in 15 years won't even know who a lot of these people are unless they're studying the history. So, but I mean, Rob, I collect cards from 1910 and I never saw those players play. So I don't think I don't think the interest in history will go away. What do What do you think? Like on based on Colin's comment, then we'll come back to Joe's question about your collection after. But and this is this is a concern. Colin has a legit concern here. Again, that you know tomorrow's collector. Not tomorrow, but 10, 15 years from now, are they going to care so much about vintage cards anymore? What do you think? Well, I, I think the seasoned collectors always find a way to educate themselves on the history of sports and on the history of cards. Um, I think it's just something in us. I don't think that I think that we're unique, but when it comes to being a true collector, I I think we're not unique because I think most you know true collectors. We want to know the history. We want to know what cards were huge when our fathers or our grandfathers or our grandmothers, you know, were young. And we want to know, you know, the iconic cards. And I know for me, a big thing was, you know, getting the Beckett magazine in the mail every month. And and even if I never had some of these cards when I was younger, I would always see pictures of them. I would see pictures of the the mantles or the uh, Bill Russells or the Reggie Jacksons. I would see pictures of those. And now that I'm an adult and I have an adult budget that I can kind of, you know, maneuver my way into getting some cards. I like to get some of those cards that were so familiar to me when I was younger, but I just never really had the money to hold them in my hand. And that's the, that's nostalgia. We're coming back to that again now, right? Those, yeah. That's a big part of it for me too, is uh, the stuff that I couldn't access when I was a kid for various reasons, mostly financial. And now you just, you know, you kind of want to complete that set still, whatever that set may be. I know, I know that's, uh, 
I've got a story about completing a sticker book in like grade three, the Opeachy Hockey sticker book. The last one I needed was Ken Morrow from the New York Islanders, Stanley Cup winners. I would go, I'd go through my $2 allowance at, at the corner store every Saturday buying eight packs of these stickers just to find the Ken Morrow card. I couldn't, I, I, I never found it. I ended up having to trade it from, I had to give a kid at school, I had to get him to peel it out of his sticker book and put it in mine. And I had to give him like eight stickers for that one, which is a common just to finish the sticker. But it's what's crazy, Rob, is that literally this is grade three. This is grade three. And I remember it. I have a vivid memory of my this. I don't remember who the kid was now, but the memory aside from what that face looked like is vivid of that person peeling it out and me putting it in my sticker book and feeling like I, I had just won the world. I completed my set finally after all these weeks and months of, of trying so yeah all right let's go to some comments here bobby says recapturing a piece of our youth via a treasure hunt rewards our childhood memories with a piece of tangibility bobby mm. you're a poet poet goodness my goodness richard goring what do you guys consider vintage these days and i haven't forgot about about um about Joe's question about, but it is it is on the list to get into to, to Rob's collection itself. So we will get back to it, I promise. But I love this question. What do you guys consider vintage these days? I'll go first, Rob. Yeah. You think you think for me, I consider vintage to end at 1989-90. And I know that's later than a lot of people, but for me, wax packs and gum is vintage that to me is vintage anything after that is not so much and uh so that's when i you know as soon as upper deck really came in and came around in 1989 uh, the foil pack the hologram no gum that to me was the end of vintage and i and i know some people say it's 1979 some people say 1970 I, i've heard 83 84 somewhere in there what about you rob yeah i think if 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 you really had to ask me i I always have 69 in my head for some reason, but I feel like now that I'm getting older, I'm pushing 40. Um, I feel like it should probably be like 79 in my head. You know, I think about Thurman Munson when Thurman Munson um, passed away. Um, that was kind of like the end of an era. It was almost like uh, the Rolling Stones concert that happened in California with the riots and the deaths. So that was basically the end of the hippie area. I think that happened in 69. So they said, you know what, this, this event that a lot of people got killed by like the Hells Angels at this concert, um, this is the end of the hippie era. For me, it's almost like Thurman Munson dying was probably like the end of vintage. And then like, we just kind of went into the eighties and the eighties. I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to go at 79. Yeah. It's a, it's a common answer for sure. And as uh, I saw this comment down here, uh, Jahan says uh, we base vintage on our age, which is pretty, you know, that makes sense to me. Um, it does. And I think in more recent time, um, younger people nowadays, I think would have a different opinion than some, than a lot of people. Uh, older. Um, okay, Triple V uh, says that people were saying vintage was dead or dying way back in the late 80s. I suppose some things never change. There's, I, I, I can see that. Colin says, today's new collector knows Steve Eiserman and Joe Sackick as general managers. Gordy Howe rookie is so undervalued. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cardboard Max, Merry Christmas and uh, good evening. 
Let's see what Willie T says. It's good to wait on rookies, but be careful to sleep too long. I was told McDavid Young Gun was overpriced and would never be a good investment, but now I want one and it's gone from $100 to $1,500. Willie's 100% correct here. That 100% correct. You know, there are exceptions to that rule that I stated earlier of wait till next year. And I made the same mistake or I was I was of that same mindset that not that it wasn't a good investment, but that I was going to wait for McDavid to, to really um, cement himself as a as there, the expectations were so high that he had to he had to be one of the greatest ever in a very short amount of time skill wise in order for the values to hold up. And uh He's delivered and the values have held up and actually uh, exceeded that. So sometimes, and a player like Luca might be similar where you may not ever get in on him cheaper than you can right now. Maybe I'm just speculating there. Skeppy says vintage cards will be like cars. There are golden age points in the auto industry that are timeless. Same with cards. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. We've got uh, Jonathan Allen says uh, 25 years. He says cards in 90, made in 96 are vintage now. 25 years old. I mean, it's hard to argue that. Like, if you look at the definition of vintage, and I don't know what it is, but it might be 20 years or older, in which it's just like there is a definition for antique. And antique is something that's 100 years old or older. At least I believe that to be the definition. So that is a moving target. The the the, the threshold date for vint for antique is moving one year forward every year. Does that work for sports cards and vintage as well? I think we've, I think, Rob, we're basically at a place in the in the hobby right now with all the content and people talking about this. It's just like we're, there is never going to be consensus. You, we all have the the freedom and the ability to to define that for ourselves. I think. What do you think of that? I mean, when when uh, when I saw nineteen ninety six, I'm like, a Kobe Bryant rookie card is considered vintage because ninety six is his year. I mean, oh my god! But you you are absolutely right though about you know just the idea of vintage really being a moving target because every second that ticks by, really you, you got to imagine pushes that vintage date up a little bit more. So just because so vintage for me can't stay nineteen seventy nine forever. It's got to change. It's got to continue to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Colin says, 1972 and older, the last year a common card had value, overproduction after that. that I guess that's one, one way to look at it. To me, overproduction doesn't change vintage, though. To me, there has to be something that fundamentally changes in the hobby. So for me, you know, a pack with gum was the same in 1988 as it was in 1980 and 75 and 65. So to me, they're all very similar. You look at wax packs, they didn't change all that much. What's changed fundamentally in 1990 was the hologram card, the new stock instead of just cardboard or the regular type of cardboard, the way they were packaged. So much changed then upper deck really pioneering a lot of that. Let's see what else we got here from coming from the crowd. Jahan says, you, you're looking young, Jeremy. Don't worry. Thank you. Feeling young. Feeling young. I'm one of these old guys that says I'm young. I know some old guys that say they're old. My, our good friend John Newman's from Sports Card Nation. I'll tell you, if he says he's he's an old guy one more time, he's he's gonna he's gonna start looking older by the day. Laura says slightly off topic. Love the shirt. Thank you, Laura. I wore this one because you know it. Uh, it's the first shirt I ever wore on episode number one of uh, of Sports Cards Live, and uh, ah, it's Christmas. I'll wear it again. Nice. I'll wear it again. 
Here we go. Rich Frank says 85, I believe, is the cutoff. 87 wood grain must might be the best set ever made, but it's not vintage. But why do you believe that, Rich? Why do you believe that? Who told you? Like who's who who says? Who says 85 is the cutoff? eBay says 1970 till now is modern. Who what gives them the right to make that rule? I mean, that's well, I'll tell you, they have the right. They have the right to define it however they want for their business. Doesn't mean that that defines vintage. Sports cards have been along around a lot longer than eBay. So I'm going to, I would go as far as saying most people watching the show right now are more qualified to define vintage than eBay is. Jeff Can I just Hart, say, I, I love that name, flea market mixtape. I don't yeah. know what that is or what that means, but it's got my attention. I, I like that name too, flea market mixtape. So Jeff Hart says the years of vintage should be fixed and not a sliding scale in the hobby. Well, again, that's Jeff. I mean, that's your opinion. Is it is it a rule though? Can you can you say that 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 is the rule? I don't know. I do like the idea of defining the different eras of the hobby, and the word vintage might just be the wrong word for older cards. You know, we've got we've got pre war, we've got maybe post war, maybe we've got pre upper deck, post upper deck. You know, and I say that just again because of '89 mm-hmm. upper deck, it really changed everything. It's a, it's an interesting discussion. There's not going to be consensus or one final answer to this. I don't, I don't think ever. Let's see. Paul says one of the nice parts of defining vintage is we can cut it off with junk wax, regardless of sport. Uh, that's the that, and that's my sort of uh, definition. Is junk wax sort of started in that '89, '88, '89, '90 range? At least, at least for me, I don't consider. 86 tops baseball to be junk wax, even though I know a lot of people do. But again, we're all entitled to these to these thoughts. PSA 10 says vintage is when a hobby shifts into an industry. In the world of cards, that would be the late 70s. I mean, a lot of people would say it hasn't even yet shifted into an industry, or that that the that it, you know, that the, it's just shifted into an industry in 1980. What was it, 82 when Don Russ and Fleer joined the group and uh I think there's a lot of shifts into there were a lot of times where the industry matured but really when 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 the premium when the premium started to be the product right cards were a premium to sell other other consumer goods when the when the premium became the product maybe that's when it ends or shifts or can be redefined colin murray Nobody asked me for 75, 78, 82, 85, and any sport of the expo never brought any cards after 72. Okay. Yeah. But does that define vintage? But it's an interesting observation. Timeless cardboard. How about any year before you were born? Yeah. I mean, that we're free to use it. Mixtapes. I, I like that, that. You like that one? Yeah. I, I, that makes complete sense. I was born in 82, and I'm like, 79 is the cutoff. I'm sorry. So that makes a lot of sense to me. It's near when you're born. Yeah. Flea market mixtape. I would think eBay's experience from sales gives them an edge over us. And thanks. I completely disagree with that flea market mixtape. Goes on. And, and I'm not going to get into why. It doesn't really matter. But uh, I, I don't think that their experience from sales gives them an edge over us. Because you got to think that they don't have that, ex- you know, they have the data. But what does the data tell you when vintage is? No, they had to. They just had to break it down for searchability. So and they probably did it a long time before they had all the data they have now and that experience that was uh, that was referred to there, uh, not there. Sorry, 
Uh, let's see. He says, me and my best friend used to go to the flea markets shopping for music. He isn't alive anymore. Oh, that's a nice uh, reason to have your name then, for sure. For sure. Okay, here we go. Jonathan Allen did some did, did some Googling, says the word vintage literally means of age. With such an open meaning, there are many interpretations. Most antique dealers consider an item to be vintage if it is at least 40 years old. Here, I like, and yeah, that that's this, we're getting, see Rob, we're getting so many different uh, thoughts on it from the chat. Never mind what I'm saying or you're saying that there's yeah. no consensus. But I, but Rich Frank, I like this one here. We need to break it down kind of like comics, gold, silver, etc. I I think we do. We need something to define the eras and vintage, modern, ultra. I mean, ultra modern's a moving target. Modern's got to be a moving target then. Then vintage has to be a moving target as well. Well, and you think about it, if you just meet someone and you're like, hey, you know, not who do you collect, but what do you collect? What do you collect? I collect vintage. That can mean anything from 1910 to 1979. That tells me nothing. If you tell me I collect vintage, I'm like, like you said, well, what era, what year? And, and for me, right, I think, you know, when I think about vintage, it's absolutely more about the sets, you know, whereas, whereas like, you know, there are such iconic sets for me, it's like, you know, 48 leaf, uh, 51 Bowman, 52 Tops, 61 Fleer Basketball. You know, there's all these iconic sets. And then when I think of modern, I'm very up on modern cards. I can't like really think about any truly iconic sets. I think of maybe like 2012 Prism Basketball, first year Prism. You know, there's a couple things I can think of, but but for me, vintage is is truly ruled by the set. Yeah, fair. Like I, I, what I'm learning is that, is that we can't really, you can't argue with any of this. You know, you can, you, you can be someone who's been in the hobby for 50 years and, and you feel like you, you know what vintage is, but doesn't matter. The fact that you've been in the hobby for 50 years doesn't necessarily give you the, um, I don't authority. know, authority, thank you. The authority to determine what 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 the what the definition of vintage for the hobby needs to be across the board because someone new could be coming in and could have a different view of it and maybe a much fresher and clear clearer view uh because it they're just using other non-hobby factors to come up with their decision or or with their with their thought on it their theory so we I don't know. It's like I know what I I know where what it is for me when people when I say to somebody I collect vintage, which I I mean I I say I collect 1888 to 2021. So I collect all of it. It doesn't matter. I, I have it all covered. But if I were to say to somebody I collect vintage, I'm thinking in my mind that means from the beginning of time up until 1989. That's just that's what I'm saying when I say vintage. such a huge window. Oh my god, it's a huge window. It's a huge window. Oh. But so many people only collect cards from the last couple of years. Right. So vintage kind of separates, you know, that if, if you're meeting somebody, say somebody who's younger or newer in the hobby at a card show and what do you collect? Oh, you know, I'm collecting prism. I'm collecting modern basketball. What do you collect? I collect vintage. You know, that that kind of ends that you don't have to say anymore because they probably don't care to hear about what, what you have to say. They're worried about their their modern uh, prism products and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, and let, let me just say, if you don't mind, like in my head, I'm like, okay, if I, if I meet two guys, right. If I have two guys in a room, one guy is like, Hey, you know, I collect 
modern. And then the other guy is like, I collect vintage. For me, I'm like, I can't wait to talk to that guy that collects vintage. I, I truly don't want to talk to modern. And I don't ever want to like throw labels or put people in a, you know, a certain category. But a lot of times when I talk to these modern dealers, you know, people that deal modern cards, um, for me, I feel like so much of it is prospecting and, and I don't really enjoy the prospecting game, you know, and, and oftentimes I feel like people are trying to sell me on players that just aren't proven and they're trying to sell me on what this guy's upside could be. And this is why I should buy in now. You should buy this because he had, he scored 30 points twice last month and, and he's getting more starting time now because blah, blah, blah. And whereas the vintage guy, I'm going to, it's going to be like a trip down memory lane. We're going to talk history of not just cards, but sports in general. We're going to talk about the greats. We're going to talk about memories that we have associated with them. We're going to listen Christmas Eve last night. I went to a party. Okay. I sat down with this guy. He was about 70 years old. I've seen him a couple times before. He's a, he's a, a distant distant family member i barely know the guy come to find out we both collect cards we sat there for almost two hours last night and just talked vintage it was unbelievable he was telling me just stories and stories and it was just it was it was great i don't want to feel like someone's trying to sell me something and that's sometimes the way i feel when i'm talking to someone about like this ultra modern high-end stuff yeah I feel like they're trying to sell me something. I'm like, I don't want to buy what, what you're selling. I'm sorry. Like, I would much rather just sit here and have a conversation. I feel like I'm much more likely to do that with someone that has vintage. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> that's that, that that's a fair, fair comment. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying with that. I'm going to go back to some more comments. Joe, I have a thought on this. Joe says, I cut it off at 79 per Beckett in the old days. So Beckett came out in like the first magazines and, you know, the mid eighties there was vintage only eight years old or so in 1986. Yeah. If so, I think it's due for a revision. And again, that's just my thought. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about that, but uh, possible. Uh, Jace says uh, earlier than 1980, a common, common uh, definition for it. Carlos welcome says, I tend to think about it as vintage slash modern slash ultra modern but on a sliding date scale as time moves on. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Me too. I can get behind that. Laura jumps in and says, Almighty Google, when asked, defines vintage as the year or place in which wine, especially wine of a high quality, was produced. There you go. And I remember when I looked up the when I looked up vintage and tried to figure this out too, uh, it was all about wine. It was all about wine. So maybe we're maybe we're borrowing a term from the from the wine industry and maybe we should respect the rules from the wine industry if we are using their their terminology flea market mixtape well i was thinking how things must be so strict when dealing with selling possibly antique items yeah because antique items i think it is there is a strict definition for the word antique is my understanding 40 final answer. Yes, 40 years is good. There we go. We have a couple of people saying 40 years old is good for vintage. Seb says vintage equals bad goaltending. <laughs> Troy, yeah, when saying you collect vintage could mean anything. Yeah, there's a, here we go. Skeppy, the psychology behind sports cards 
hurts it as much as helps it, especially now with social media. The number one rule in sports cards is not to follow the herd. There's always another path. There's always another path. There are always other cards. And if you're following the herd, you're likely to be you're likely to be buying and paying more than than you may otherwise need to be because it's just, again, supply and demand sort of thing. Lots of comments on this vintage modern uh, discussion. Nice to see the chat so engaged. Someone who's been in the hobby for 50 years must be vintage, might be vintage. I think they have to be at that point. Okay, here we go, Matt. Combination card and comic designation, 1909 to 51, the golden age, 52 to 80, the silver age, modern from 81 to 2012 ultra modern there i see i'm okay with that that. except for the modern from 81 to 2012 so much changed between 81 and 2012 oh yeah that that i need i need an extra era in there i need it and i'm happy to compromise here and say okay 81 to 89.90 that's its own era come 1990 it fund the hobby fundamentally changed something has to be there has to be a break point there whether it's vintage to modern or something else to something else, I'm, I'm okay, but I definitely need some break point at that 89.90 level. Matt, Matt, I appreciate that comment, Matt, because that that does really, you know, golden age, silver age, modern, ultra modern. And the dates could be up for discussion, but I definitely love so far those kind of four because it feels like it's breaking it down quarterly. You know, every 25 years kind of gets its own boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. I like it a lot, too. Definitely something to work with there. Jeff says, eras can definitely be a great way to look at things. Yeah. Sumo says, defining eras in trading cards is a lot more useful than trying to define the age-related labels. I don't know that I understand that comment in terms of age-related labels. Do you know what he's getting out there, Rob? Um, well, I mean, I think when when maybe when... I'll use my own interpretation of it. When I hear the term vintage, you know, I don't know too many young, young dealers that deal with vintage. So if you're like, oh, I, you know, uh, collect vintage, then it's safe to assume that person's probably of a certain age. Fair. Okay. I I like, uh, (laughs) first of all, Jahan says, uh, check the categories of comics or Star Wars. It's insane. I'll have to do that. But I like this one. Look what Sumo comes up with. Pre-war, post-war, expansion, junk wax, forgotten, post-2K, and then COVID. See, these are this makes somewhat sense to me. Forgotten, I would call COVID. I love how COVID gets its own category. COVID is ultra modern, right? I would call forgotten creative. I I referred to it in an earlier show as the creative era, that 90s era where all the the inserts and but for it's because it's it's now remembered and very much so remembered. But it's uh, but I, it was the creative era, so I, I really like uh, what Sumo's got up there. Paul says, Vintage guys pull out all the cool stuff and explain why it isn't for sale. Modern guys, you get the salesmanship. That's a very good point. Oh my god, put that as five stars. You get the golden star, Paul, because you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Birds on the bat feels like 84 is the beginning of the modern era. Okay. Birds goes on to say, although it doesn't have much to do with card manufacturing. Yeah, because he was talking about Clemens coming in, the, the the natural break with basketball not having cards, the Raiders appear. So, yeah, there's uh, a few things there. But, and they see, and to me, it has to have some, something to do with the industry itself, not just what's going on in the sport. But hey, it doesn't matter, Birds, you're entitled. That's what I, that, that's the, that's the big takeaway here. We are all entitled to define these as we want. We're never going to have a, 
a, a consistent answer across the hobby. Troy says, your choice, proven player versus unproven, some buy GOAT cards or buy some prospecting cards. Flea market mixtape, in all honesty, I feel like 90s is vintage. Maybe it just makes me feel better about my 90s junk wax. <laughs> Let's see what Bobby. So Bobby Burrell has written books on the hobby. Uh, he's it's called, with the name Vintage in them, Vintage Hockey Collector. He's well-known and respected for his, uh, his knowledge around all things hockey uh, cards, but not just cards, also the all the food issues and every sort of collectible that came out. But he says, vintage to me, looking back about 20 years after puberty, the fleeting memories of youth. So Bobby, what are you saying? Vintage to me, looking back about 20 years after puberty. Not sure I understand what you're saying there, Bob. Please clarify for me. 81 to 89, the junk wax era. For me, it's more like 1990 or 89 to 93 is what I where I see the junk wax era really being. Mine's a little bit bigger. I, I think I would probably say like 87 and 95 because I feel like baseball, man, some of those early 90s sets were just printing even up to like 94, 95. I feel like they were just hammering out those sets, just printing and printing. But I, I think because so you think the junk wax era is only about Four years for me yeah i mean ba- again and you're using baseball as the measuring stick right i'm thinking more hockey but i mean I, I was seeing it all back then i know a lot of people go back to like 86 or 87 for baseball because that's when mass production started so hence yeah. junk wax makes sense i think it's you know there's some there's there's i think there's the definite uh like block of time being like that 89 to 93. And then you can have a little bit of gray area on the outside there, just depending on how you define it, where you're not going to offend me, Rob, if you say it's 86 to 95 and I'm mm. saying it's 89 to 93. Oh, I, I can live with both of those. You know, they, yeah. they both make sense to me. Yeah. Carlos, I like this comment. So fun and interesting hearing everyone's approach to the hobby. I love the, the fact that Carlos uses the word approach because that's what I find so interesting is not just how, you know, and, and this is only one aspect of our approach is what we define vintage to be, which at the, in the end of the day, do you really let that kind of limit what you collect? Maybe you do. And if you do fine, I know I don't like I'll collect it all, but, but the word approach is, is applicable to so much more than just the eras. It's so much more. And I, I love uh, learning how everyone, how people approach the hobby as well as you do Carlos. Paul says, another forgotten factor to define eras. First Chrome set was 92 tops finest. The introduction of Chrome cards has to be a pretty good line in the sand. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something there. We had shinies all of a sudden. People love the shiny. And, and it was a predecessor to the, to the probably a bit of a predecessor to the, to the 90s inserts in the second half of the 90s. So yeah, yeah, that makes, great point, that makes Paul. good sense. That's so these eras, I don't know that we're ever going to be able to cut them off in at one year. It's not going to be like, okay, 1990 or 89 or whatever it, you can have a couple of years of overlap. The eras can actually overlap. It's not like this, right? It could be like that. And that's why I think we have to get our heads around. Jeff Hart says I stand early mid nineties. Yep. Seb in cards vintage should be when people did not care about condition. So before top loaders make sense. And that's a legit, a legit comment to throw into the mix. When did people start caring about the condition? When did the term rookie card first become something that people cared about? 
think there's all sorts of different things we could throw out, to, out there. Foul five ball says junk ball to me is 86 to 93. Yeah, 100%. I could see that. Eric says the junk wax era started in 1991 and exploded for the next and then exploded for the next decade. I would say exploded for the next half a decade because then it kind of slowed down in that second half of the 90s is my recollection. Definitely. definitely exploded from there. So Eric's kind of a little bit later than uh, than some other people. Jahan says 86 was the greatest rookie class we'll ever see. They're all gray and so many who and so many people collect them. So he must be talking about 86 basketball, which yep. is just which is really just a like a quarter of of the of the hobby at that point cuz you know, four major sports at that time. Joe says a major moment of the scarcity element was when Topps Baseball reconsidered releasing retail product and sets, which, if memory serves, was after 75. Okay. Sumo likes my term creative era. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Laura says vintage base sets only. So before inserts and all that, I mean, could be. Although we had inserts through the 70s and the 80s. Bobby Burrell will tell you all about them. But to me, that's a different, it's just a different thing. You know, one one per pack isn't to me, it's an insert by definition, but it's not a it's not a rare insert. So maybe the maybe the advent of the rare insert, the numbered insert, the jersey card. There's all these things that happened. Yeah. Glad you're enjoying it, Rich Frank. Toa, Merry Christmas to you. Glad to my Christmas has been boring. I, I knew some people would enjoy a show on Christmas Day and glad to have. Rob along for the ride. No more high numbers. The list can go on and on and on about all this. Let's let's uh, go to Skeppy's comment, and then we're going to wrap up this part of the this uh, this part of the show. We'll move on to another topic. He says, think of it like this. Let's say everything ever printed in sports cards was created with the same production. Assume everything available to everyone. What eras would remain in demand the most? That's not a quick question. There, everything print. Everything ever printed was created with the same production. Well, I think we'd uh, it would come down to baseball would probably be the most popular if everything was the same production. I, I mean, I'm thinking 48 to 52 baseball for me, anyways. I mean, I mean, really 48 to probably like 54, 55, because then that's bringing in Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, uh, just so many of them. Hank Aaron. I don't know. Yeah, there's lots of uh, amazing stuff there. I want to thank uh, thanks Troy for the uh, the super chat. Appreciate his love. This great chat about vintage. So awesome to hear everyone's view on what they think on card eras. Thanks for doing the live stream, Jeremy and Rob. You you bet, Troy. Thank you so much. Always great to see you uh, joining in for the show. Okay, we're gonna a couple more. To me, junk wax started in '88. '92 finest was very tough to get. Twenty dollars a pack. Seb says in a few decades, people will probably simply say pre-2000 and post-2000. I think there's something to be said for that right there. I, there is something. Hey, that's a big uh, a big year of uh, of change there, right? The y, Y2K. It's a change. It's, it's the millennium. It's not a year nor a decade. It's a millennium. And uh, I think that's a great point. Definitely. Because, you know, you look at just in terms of basketball, you know, with LeBron coming in in 03, it's, you know, and then Curry in 09. It's just, yeah, I think that's a great point, Seb. Yeah. Jonathan Allen says, I wonder what a card historian would say. You're talking to a couple right now. I, that's what I think. I think we're, I think <laughs> we are, we are card historians. I mean, 
pretty much anyone in here is. I think if you are collecting cards that go back into these eras, into you know, if you if you have a if you have a pre-war card, even if it doesn't matter what you have, if you're interested in in pre-war cards, you know, and you do some research, I think you're entitled to an opinion on this. You're entitled to an opinion no matter what, but you're entitled for your opinion to be respected. We need more wine. <laughs> Rob. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about your collection and your approach. We talked about, we heard the word approach. Let's talk about your approach to the hobby. We know you like Mickey Mantle and Hulk Hogan. Uh, we know that you've started to set up at card shows for the first time this yeah. year. And you've actually already got about 10 shows under your belt uh, experience set up as a vendor. So uh, let's get into that a little bit. Talk about, uh, you know, your approach to the hobby, what your, since you've come back in this last time. We'll talk about your, your your podcast a little bit after, but talk about your collection and how you're uh, how you're curating it at this point in time. Yeah, uh, I tell you, so so probably probably about four months ago, I had heard about this concept about um, about having a PC pyramid, and it was basically you know you figure just a pyramid and it goes by uh, in order what you want you know on top I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here so top of my pc pyramid without a doubt <clears throat> mickey mantle hulk hogan and vintage that's right at the top so basically i know that any chance i have to get something big or something that um would would truly help that pc that's what i'm going for it's really like a priority list for me you know um is that pc pyramid and then also, I've also come up with a list like top five list. Like, what am I looking to try to get over the course of the next year? What are the top five cards? So I'm always kind of looking ahead, um, looking back a little bit. And I've talked about this. <clears throat> excuse me. I've talked about this on my podcast before about how, you know, like life is like a car, right? Big windshield windshield takes up 85%. There's a reason why the windshield's so big and the rear view so small. So the windshield is made to be looking out of constantly rear view is to be made looking in just kind of slightly to make sure we're not making the same mistakes or learning from whatever mistakes we're making. So I'm always thinking ahead, like, okay, where am I going with my card collecting journey? Where am I going? What direction am I going in? Because I need direction because without direction, I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be buying things on eBay. I don't need, I'm going to be buying things at card shows completely based off impulse. So for me to know what's on my PC pyramid for me to know what are the cards or players or, or, or niches that I'm going after. Those are the things that I need to stay focused because this hobby can have me like a cat chasing a freaking red dot laser beam. I'm, I could be all over the place. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, that PC pyramid, um, I did a podcast episode on that, like I said, probably about four months ago, and it just meant so much to me. It clarified so many things for me. So, you know, you talk about the, you know, the cat chasing the laser pointer. It's the, it's the rabbit hole syndrome that the hobby presents to everybody in it, right? You, it's so easy to get lost in it, especially, you know, 
you put on you add the last 10 years body of work of the hobby to everything that came before it there's so much to learn the complexity of the sets the just the the scope of the parallels on top of the simple days in the 80s when you had one or two sets a year um you know or three or four like that was easy to keep track of you it was, it was very simple nowadays you've got 30 to 60 sets a year per sport depending on i guess which sport it is or however many it may, may be i could have over overshot that but um definitely uh definitely a, a different time and um and and i and i, I it's i think i think what you're saying is you know you got you got to kind of if you you almost, you just sort of I want to, I'm the reason I'm struggling right now. Is I, I don't know if I want to say it, but you got to pick a lane. But is picking a lane then confining you too much? There's so many wonderful pr- cards out there that you can add to your collection. If you if you say stick to your lane or stay in your lane, you know, then you may not be exposing yourself to some other cards that you may really enjoy. That said, there's other constraints, you know, financial constraints that force you to stay in your lane. So you have to stay in your lane because otherwise you can. You can go broke. You can go into debt. And these are real life things that are going on in the hobby with many people. So um, I think your podcast and your whole the, the the sports card pyramid that you did and you actually you actually shared the template and other people could fill it in and, and share yeah. it on their Instagram. And it caught on. It went a little viral there on Instagram for a while. So that was a great a great initiative that I think probably helped some people focus I'm not a huge fan of focus, uh, you know, which is why I was struggling before in the hobby, just, just for myself. Cause there's, you know, it's like, it comes back to approach and, and a lot of people when, when I'm at a card show set up, Rob, and, and I encourage you to do the same thing. If you're not yet as a newer card show vendor, people come up to my table. The first thing I ask them, it's not, what are you looking for? Or can I help you? It's how do you approach the hobby? Now, not everybody, but I, I, I make a habit of asking a lot of people, how do you approach it? Like, I'm curious to learn how people, how different people approach the hobby versus, you know, the whole, what do you collect or sort, sort of thing? Cause, or who do you collect? Rob and I had a, had a discussion off camera a couple of days ago about the whole, who do you collect versus what do you collect? And I said to him, you know, when someone asks me, who do I collect? It kind of puts me in a weird spot because I don't have an answer who I collect. It's what do I collect? There's so many approaches to the hobby outside of being a player collector. And I think uh, we need to people need need to kind of recognize that a little bit more, or just be be uh, sensitive to it that not everybody is a is a player collector. So I love that approach at the at the card show. Rob is is asking people that because it, it it just opens your eyes to so many different alternative ways that we may not have thought of before. Is that something that have you have you had those conversations while you've been set up at shows? Yeah, absolutely, and and. <clears throat> I tell you the things with sh- with doing shows. There's so many strange nuances that can happen, right? Like you have your guys that um, guys, kids, whoever, and I say kids, they could be in their 20s or 30s, but you know that come up and they want to make conversation. They want to talk. I love that. That's great. And then you have some people they come up to your case and. They are looking at prices. They go to their phone. They're checking the comps. They're not saying a word to you. They're looking down. They're doing this, and and they give you a nod and they walk away, which is fine. You know, there's there's all you know beautiful, you know everything about doing shows for me has been educational and stuff. But if you don't mind, Jeremy, I want to go back a second and I want to just touch on the who do you collect versus what you collect because 
when we had first spoke, right, you came on my podcast and, and I had asked you, who do you collect? And you said, it's not about who, it's about what. And there's so much to be said for that. And, and it really, that one statement right there really started to change the way that I looked at collecting, believe it or not. It really did. It, it had a big impact on me. And I think about why do people collect goats? Obviously, people collect goats because of the financial reason, right? It's a safer way to kind of spend your money or invest in cards and whatnot. But when, we, when we're fans of our home teams, I'm fans of Yankees and I'm fans of the Giants, right? But I still want to be able to root for Tom Brady. I still want to, you know, I mean, they're just watching Brady perform is amazing. And even though the Patriots aren't my team or the Bucks aren't my team, I would like to probably buy some cards so I can feel part of the experience as well. And buying cards of a player is almost like putting a little bit of money on the game. It gives you an excuse or it gives you a reason to root for a guy, but it's a lot safer than gambling because we get to keep the cards after the game's over, you know? So I love the idea of being able to collect the goats for me, being able to collect the goats or being able to collect the vintage as a whole um, because it, it gives me, an excuse almost it gives me a pass to root for an opposing player yeah i i'm 100 hear that hunter you know i live in calgary and we have a we have a rivalry a provincial rivalry with the edmonton oilers we're we're you know three three hour drive away from them and um and part of me is like how can i collect gretzky rookies or gretzky cards in general he's in an oiler uniform in, in a lot of his cars how can i collect connor mcdavid he's an oiler well it's you know having the the card is it's not how can i collect him how can i cheer for him sorry i meant to say how can i cheer for these guys now gretzky's retired for how can i cheer for connor mcdavid well you know I cheer for the hobby and the, the better in, in hockey, the better Connor McDavid does, the better the hobby does. It's just, it's just the way it, just the way it works. So yeah. I have to find that balance as a, as a Calgary flames fan versus the, I don't want the Oilers to win, but I kind of want Connor McDavid to win a cup, a Stanley cup, because if he does, it's going to solidify his cardboard. And yes, I'm invested in some, some of his stuff, not, not heavily, heavily. I, I was late to the game on Connor McDavid, but I have some of his cards, but, it's the whole hobby overall. So the better that guy does, the better the hobby does. I think the same could probably be said, and correct me if I'm wrong, all you basketball experts, but the better LeBron does, the better Luca does, the better the, you know these the superstars do, the better the hobby does overall. And so it gives us that excuse to cheer for, for players on our rivalry teams even though it might make us feel weird and, and a little icky inside, which it does sometimes. And, you know, I can't really say it in front of some of my friends who would be like, you know, they'll think I'm not, I'm not loyal to the flames anymore. I am, but I'm, I'm more loyal to the hobby than I am to my own team. And you think about when, when you see Connor McDavid on a breakaway, right? Skating down the ice, heading toward the goal, heading toward the goalie about to do something amazing. And then he slaps the puck and it goes in, he does a juke move and gets the goalie. It's like, that's art. There's such beauty in that. How could you not root for that? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's artistry. You're, you're right. And he's, he's the, he, yeah, he's by far the best player in the world. Like there's not even a, I used to think, 
um, that Nathan McKinnon used to early, the earlier uh, this year, you know, but he hasn't, uh, he wasn't quite doing it. Connor McDavid is just far and away the best player in the game, in my opinion. And, um, and I do want to see him win a Stanley Cup, even though that's the worst thing that could happen to the Calgary Flames is the Oilers winning, but I, I'd be willing to let it go. But I like your topic about why do we collect goats? And uh, and I think there's also just the blue chip aspect, the investment aspect. Yes, we collect, but there is, you know, just like the just like the eras don't break off at a certain point, they can overlap. So can collecting and investing. You're not one or the other. You 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 can be if you so choose to be. If that's truly your approach, fine. But you can overlap. You can be both. And anyone who tells you you can't be both, um, I will argue that all day long. And I'll just probably walk away because you probably can't get anywhere with someone who has that thought. All right, let's go through. Uh, what do you say? Some more comments here. We yeah. got we got lots lots coming in. We have some more topics to get into. I want to dive more into your card show experiences. Uh, Chris Olivo says, uh, 86 Conseco Donruss rookie was the game changer for me. That's when I realized my cards could be worth something. I remember that day for me too. It was right around 80. It was when St I realized my Steve Eiserman rookie was worth something because the first Beckett came out. Definitely. But I understand that Conseco Donruss rookie was a huge card. I once traded away a, a, a car stereo system for a Conseco Donruss. Remember the faceplate, Rob? The fa <laughs> the, remember the faceplate era? When you, yeah. you'd, you'd park your car, you'd take the faceplate off your car of stereo, put it in your pocket and go inside. That way they, the thief couldn't steal your car stereo. Yeah, I traded one of those for Conseco rookie back in the late 80s, early 90s. Jahan says, ironic, I need a job in the hobby to fund my hobby. 100% for sure. Chris says, I collect all four major sports rookies, 80 to present. 80 was the first year I started watching sports, so I essentially collect players I've only seen live. Great approach. Great approach. Baseball card curmudgeon, glad to have you as always. <laughs> Joe says, if you don't know why, if you don't know your why, it can be a fruitless journey. And it can be very complex, you know? That's what I was meaning to finish off saying before, is that, a lot of times when you ask someone at a card show, Robin, you'll find this. If you say, okay, I'm going to take Jeremy's advice. I'm going to start asking everyone that comes to my table at the next card show, how do you approach the hobby? And a lot of people are going to say to you, I just buy whatever catches my eye. And that's that to me is kind of like what Joe's saying. Not that there's anything fruitless about it, because there isn't, about if that's how you collect. But it's like, if you don't have a clear direction, your direction is simply, I collect what catches my eye. It's kind of like the, I don't know, it's, kind of like the best of both worlds. You're not, you're not uh, stuck in any single lane. You, you, you can feel free. And um, I like that approach a lot. And I wonder if you'll start hearing that at card shows, Rob, versus, you know, I, I collect prism silver rookies of, uh, of all the basketball rookies going back to 2012 or something like that. Merry Christmas to you, Albert Jones. Daniel, Merry Christmas to you as well. Paul says, love the game. Love of the game outshines love of a team. When you say, mm. when you collect, say every Hall of Famer, they don't, sorry, they don't disallow the rival team. I agree. You collect, if you collect Hall of Famers, you're collecting everybody. But I love the first sentence love of the game outshines love of a team. So let's add one more level here. I'm going to say love of the hobby outshines the love of the game, which outshines, outshines the love of a team. I'll, I'll wow. add one layer onto that, Paul. But we're well getting said. deep. 
it's it's this is the christmas uh, the christmas day show rob with uh, with the sports card therapist guys check out the ticker right now if you just joined or joined recently you can find rob on instagram sports card therapist his youtube channel be sure to subscribe sports card therapist and of course he has a website as well sportscardtherapist.com hey i want to take a second rob and just uh because i did put it on instagram that i do have two vip tickets to the mint collective that we will be giving away via a sweepstake so i'm gonna right now share with everybody how to do this if you are planning to be there if you want to come to the mint collective it is in las vegas january 28th to 30th just going to take this comment off and throw up right now. There you go. The Mint Collective, Las Vegas, January 28th to 30th. Have a look down your screen on the ticker. You can enter to win. Go to themintcollective.com slash sportscardslive-sweepstakes. I'll leave that on there for a few minutes. Go to that website. There is an entry form right there. Give your whatever information they ask for, and you will be in the sweepstakes to win uh, there's two tickets up for grabs, two VIP tickets. These have a $999 value each, each. Oof. Yeah, so we're giving away $2,000 worth of uh, Mint Collective tickets. There are different levels of tickets. This is the VIP ticket. Gets you into all of the different, all the signature panel discussions. Gets you into the carnival, the card show, the auction, pretty much everything that's going on at the Mint Collective, which I'm very excited for. They keep on adding vendors. If you guys aren't following the Mint Collective yet on Instagram, I think you should, even if you're not going to go, because they're kind of showing what this event is going to be on a go-forward basis as well. And every day they're adding more speakers or adding more vendors. It's just cool to see um, all the different, all these different uh, hobby entities and hobbyists uh, come together for this event in Las Vegas next month. All right, Rob, back to where we were. Here's a question. Before we jump in, before we jump in, I just, Jeremy, I just want to publicly apologize for my time with you has been so off. I have been late to almost every single time we are supposed to talk. And and let me just tell, let me just say, typically, I am always, I'm always early. I'm always early everywhere I go. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the baldness in us. <laughs> we just keep on like, you know, but I don't know what it is, man. And, uh, but let me tell you, I, so I was supposed to meet Jeremy, I think on three separate occasions, basically on zoom to either talk or check in and, and figure out plans. And each and every time I either had to reschedule or I brought it down to like 30 seconds before. (laughs) So uh, listen, I apologize, man. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm usually never like that, man. So, uh, don't, don't think that's, uh, you know. Don't think it's a uh, a habit, even though it's become with you for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I was starting to think that you are very calendar challenged, but no, uh, and I'm I'm usually not at all, man. I'm usually not. So well, so we had been... we had Rob scheduled to be on the show two Saturdays ago, and I get a I get a call from him like the day before saying, "Man, I'm sorry, I just don't think I can do it. I gotta I gotta travel the next morning really early. It's just not gonna work out." Okay, great, <laughs> thanks, pal. Like you leave leave me high and dry. <laughs> But luckily, luckily, I was also in the middle of, of bouncing around some dates with uh, with Adam Martin from Dave and Adams, and he was able to slide in two days later, and we had an amazing episode with him. So, um, so that that all worked out, Rob. It's a nice thing is when these things. Work. I'm never too concerned about it. There's it can always work out. But but where you had me concerned was tonight. I we, I'm like okay, so you'll be in the studio, you know, ten to fifteen minutes before we go live. Well, guys, 
he didn't show up until 30 seconds before. And I'm sitting there like, what? where, where is this guy? I'm stressing out. I'm going to have to start the show without him. Can't you know, what's crazy him. too, is I got into my studio so early that I actually put in, put in my earpiece and started listening to random podcasts to waste time. And I'm like rearranging my shelves and stuff. And then I realized I'm like, Oh my God, it's nine 53. And so I log on to my laptop and it just shuts off on me. It just completely shut off. And I was like, Oh my God, I had to go wake up my wife and ask her for her password for hers because I thought mine just had died on me. But, yeah. but it's so I had to give it a couple minutes to charge up and then I logged on, but and I'm oh sending him. I'm sending a message on Instagram going, uh, ETA question mark. And then, oh, did you really? Later, I didn't even two see minutes that. later, question mark, question. Mark, and then WTF, you, you'll, you have a, you have a WTF waiting for you, <laughs> but I knew I, that's, then it's like, I hope it's okay. Cause I, then I get legitimately concerned because you know, earlier on today, you're like, all right, let's go. Like you were ready oh, to go. So yeah, I thought yeah. something, something must've happened. So listen, man, so, oh, I'm definitely going to have you back on my pod one day. And, uh, you know, when the table, I'm not going to show up I'm, for that. <laughs> I'm sure you'll give it back to me. <laughs> I want a couple, a couple of funny comments came in by like Bobby says, uh, when a therapist seems to be avoiding you, you know, there are issues to deal with as well. He's here now, at least he's here now. <laughs> Beavis cards. Another one. He's still sending a bill though. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well said, guys. Well said. Uh, here's a question from Laura for you, Rob. Where does the thought process of grading what I think my card is worth versus a service telling me what it's worth? Uh, I tell you. So uh, my buddy Amil Sarfani and I, we recently so we just started up a new a new like side project podcast called The Bounce. We did an entire episode on grading and and you know, what we think. And I'm really curious to see years from now, how this era that we're in, how we're going to look at the premium that we put on grading, you know, because you could take, you could take a really nice LeBron rookie, a PSA 10 goes for five grand, a PSA nine goes for a thousand. I personally would rather have five PSA nines than a single PSA 10. Um, but I understand the investment value behind a PSA 10, but I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen because I know in the, in the early nineties, just like when I was collecting, just like a lot of you guys were, I, everyone thought their cards were going to be worth millions. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Jeremy, you have people now that come up to you, just like I have people that come up to me. They're like, Hey, how much are my cards worth? And they have a box of 92 football cards. And it's like, you know, we have to, I think, let them down in a way where it's like, listen, you know, I, I don't think they're worth what you're hoping they're going to be worth, you know, and try to explain that to them. I'm curious what all this grading that we've been doing. I mean, we're definitely in a jump junk slab era, in my opinion. You know, there's just so many slabs out there and you hate to call anything junk, but, you know, um, so yeah, great question as far as grading. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's great to know what a third party like these grading companies think of our card, but I also know that you could put a PSA 10 up against a PSA 9 and even sometimes a PSA 8 and you can't tell the difference. I agree with all that. The one thing about this question is where where Laura says 
um, what I think my card is worth versus a service telling me what it's worth. There's no service I know about out there besides, you know, uh, an evaluation service, which uh, we had Michael Osaki on here a few months ago, who is a legit evaluator. He does it for insurance companies and, that, and, and estates and that sort of thing. But there's no real service out there that tells you what your card is worth. There are predictive tool. Card Ladder has a predictive tool. They tell you what the comps are, a wonderful service, a wonderful value to the collector to have some numbers to go by, to consider when you do want to value your, your collection or a single card. But I don't really know. I don't, if this question is, is asserting that the grading company tells you what your card is worth by virtue of them putting a number, a grade on the card, I don't see it that way. That's not really what's going on. The market is telling the hobby what the card in that slab is worth, not the card, not the grading company telling you what your card is worth. Now, I do understand though that when a com when a grading company puts a ten or a nine or a nine five or whatever it is on that card, it impacts the value that the rest of the hobby attributes to your item. But they're not telling you what your card is worth. They're simply, if they're doing their job and if they're doing their job the way they they're supposed to be. All they're doing is evaluating the condition of the card. The market, the hobby tells you what your card is worth, I believe. Uh, okay, uh, this is a, I like this comment from Birds. He says, uh, I'm waiting for the day when people start including mass graded cards from this era of busts as throw-ins on purchases like some people do with raw. You know, you get a card from on eBay and they throw in a couple of base cards to protect your card. What, what birds on the bat is saying, I can't wait till they start putting in junk slabs to protect the good slab in the middle. That's I'd never foreseen that happening, but I can see it happening. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, oh, yeah. My biggest concern with with this, you know, if we use the term junk slab air and I agree wholeheartedly with what you said, Rob, that, you know, somebody had that graded at a, at a point in time because they either loved the card or thought there'd be a value in doing so. So the word junk is quite insulting to a lot of people, but it's a convenient term. People know what we're talking about. So I'll use it uh, with that said. Um, my biggest issue with the junk slab era, and I think I'm not alone in this, is what's going to happen to all these things at the end of the day? It's a, it's, it's a crap ton of plastic that is, that is not going to have a home. Not every card has a home anymore. And and what's going to happen to all that plastic at the end of the day? That's uh, that's something that I, I don't know what, if there's a solution to that. And it's kind of, a, you know, an, a, an outside the hobby sort of sort of whole thought. Just the packaging that goes into the hot, right? These premium products, you need to have that that box opening experience. That unboxing experience is a, is a part of what you're paying for. And that's why they have. There's so much packaging on all, on all these cards, you know, especially the high end. You can get them in briefcases. All you need is a, all you really need is a top loader for your cards, and they're they're good, or some sort of wrapping paper to disguise what's inside. But that's not what sells, and that's not where where people get uh, sort of attribute value from. So we have all this packaging, we have all this plastic going on. Our hobby is very wasteful, I think, and I don't know what the solution is. Uh, but has this ever crossed your mind, Rob? Yes and no, not to the extent that you just went, but you know, yeah, PSA has recently been putting out numbers. I feel like once a month, right, where they talk about how many cards they graded. Did they grade seven million last month? 
No, no, it's more like seven hundred. It's like it's in the hundreds of thousands every month. So versus... it's like seven hundred thousand or something. Yeah. I know there was a seven. So regardless, so if they graded, let's just say for examples for Haha's seven hundred thousand slabs just last month alone. How many of those slabs you times that times twelve, and then yeah, you start like times that? Million. Are they going to end up in the ocean? Well, that's of course the they concern. are. That's the concern. In the, the trailing 30-day grades, according to Gemrate, is uh, 683,000 cards have been graded by PSA in the last 30 days. And speaking of Gemrate, Ryan, the uh, the person behind Gemrate, will be a guest on Sports Cards Live uh, mm. on January the 15th, I believe it is. I'm going to throw that up. on. I'll throw back up the upcoming episodes for everybody. And uh, I'll leave up, again, the Mint Collective. If you want to enter the sweepstakes to win one of two tickets vip tickets a 999 value to the mint collective the link is on the screen right now in the ticker go there and enter the sweepstakes um that they have uh allowed us to give away to the sports cards live audience so pretty pretty cool uh as far as uh, i just want to bring up ryan again so we have a couple of ryan's coming on but uh ryan stazinski will be on january 8th actually not the 15th january 8th ryan from gemrate will be on and that's where i just went to see that the trailing 30-day uh cards graded was 683,000. the prior 30 days though rob was 785,000. so they're right around that 700,000 700,000 cards per month it's uh it's it's a lot that's a lot of plastic going out there and um and yeah if a lot of these cards are truly going to be junk slabs where where are they going to end up how many of those are going to remain in, in permanent collections for decades? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's something we should think about even as, even when we do decide what to send into grading companies, you know, like, okay. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other issue. Great, great topic to look into though, without a doubt. It's, it's one of those things. It's more important than we're, it's more important than we're allocating time to, but uh but it's not a fun thing to talk about, right? It's just something yeah. I think to be aware of. I think it's just something that we as collectors need to be aware of it and really think about uh, what we're what we're sending in for grading. And I think by the prices being more expensive now to do it, the car, the, the grading companies, the PSAs and Beckets of the world are forcing us to really be more discerning about what, what we do send in for grading. Um, Benny Cromwell, you were late too tonight. WTF. Just kidding, buddy. Great to have you. Thank you for thank you for coming. Paul says the amount of tens it could be nines and nines it could be tens is amazing. It's an opinion, and people forget that. Yeah, it's not it's not a perfect uh, system, not yet. Anyway, uh, Rich Frank says in in service dog breeding we call it kennel blindness. A lot of kennels cannot see the flaws on their yard. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Mm. For sure. Beavis card says, have slab recycle bins at shows. Maybe the plastic can be used in new slabs. Yeah. Great idea, Beavis. Great idea. And Troy says, PSA grades approximately 170,000 per week on average. I think they're a bit, I think they're trending a bit higher than that right now, uh, just based on the numbers we had. But, uh, but yeah, that's a pretty good uh, uh, general, general uh, amount there. Joe says real hobby talk. I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I, I want to come back to Albert Jones off subject, but how about that Curry National Treasures RPA that sold uh, by collectible by their unit holders for $780,000? And the, the new owners of that card 
uh, post on Instagram, a couple of guys uh, teamed up and bought that card from Collectible. If there was an initial offer of 700, I think there was a bit of a bidding war and it ended up uh, ending at 780. So um, how about it, Albert Jones? Did you, are you aware of this, uh, this sale, Rob, and any comments about the Curry card? Yeah, I mean, it, it really doesn't surprise me when you start to see some of these cards and what they're going for. I think a Luca just went for what seven fifty or seven close to that, you know. Yeah. So you start to look at. We're all aware of Curry and how incredible he is, but it's something about I think him finally breaking this record that even for someone like me that's extremely familiar with him, I have Curry cards, I've invested in Curry, even just watching him break this record has changed his legacy in my in my eyes, you know, even though we all knew he was closing in on this, but now his legacy is is even higher. And now there's people talking about, is he bigger to this era of basketball than LeBron? You know, and when I hear those conversations taking place, because if you think about the the play of the game, he has impacted the game at a different and a bigger level than LeBron. You know, I mean, with with the amount of three pointers that are being shot, the way that he shoots threes, the way that he does everything, he truly, I think, has impacted the maybe not the global brand but just the game on the court itself probably at a different level than LeBron. So when I see, when I hear those conversations happening and when I see him breaking this record, this sale doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, I think it's a great investment. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. My buddy Joe will, will, will back me up that I've, uh, I don't have any, I don't have a single curry card but I would love to, and um, and that's one I would obviously love to have. I, I believe that he's up there. You can you can say Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Steph Curry. That all flows really well for me. And I know MJ's in a world of his own, uh, uh, to me and to everybody. Well, most people. So, but but nonetheless, I think that uh, Steph Curry is flirting with that level of maybe not the MJ level, but the LeBron, the Kobe he's entering that echelon of importance to the, to the sport and, and now to the hobby even. And um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, I, I would have voted against if I was a unit holder of that card on, on collectibles platform, I would not have accepted that offer. I think that that's low for that card. I think I had a discussion about it uh, on, on another show recently. And I think, um, you know, we kind of came, we kind of, and again, this is not saying it's worth it, but kind of where I would, expect the value to be in that 1.2 to 1.5 level relative to other cards it's not just curry on its own you can't just put a player on an island and say there's what the card is worth it has to be you need you need relative uh measuring sticks to to compare to and um that's where i would think so i would have voted against that but the 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 unit holders voted for it and the card has moved which is good liquidity is good too overall for for the for the, the fractional market and the hobby overall so interesting uh stuff and uh a, a great card i think is a great investment too especially at that price i i would have uh, i would love to invest in it for seven hundred eighty thousand dollars or you know what may, maybe you and i can team up on the next curry that goes up and and we'll we'll make a play let's do it let's do it let's do it 
Back to some comments. Birds on the bat says, I for one am blown away. Some cards sell it all. Who is buying them? Not to pick on him again, but let's take, I think he means Luca, for example. There's over 10,000 PSA 10s, and he looks like a, oh, Lux. Must mean Gavin Lux. Yeah, Gavin Lux, yeah. Yeah, sorry. There's over 10,000 PSA 10s, and he looks like a bust. How is there a market? Well, that's just it. There's a market until until they're a bust or until they don't perform the way the hobby expects them to. And then it crashes very, very fast. That single cards can crash overnight. So who's buying them? Yeah. How is there a market? There might not be a market. That market can die off very quickly. I don't think it's about who's grading or who's buying them. It's about who's grading them. Because buying them, just because there's, you could have as many on the pop report as 10,000. That doesn't mean that they're actually moving. You know, I mean, it's, it's especially when it comes to something like like you know PSA where there's the backlog of things it's and that's why grading unless I can have a card unless I can send a card out for grading have it back in my hands within like 30 to 45 days unless it's a vintage card unless it's a vintage card chances are I'm probably you know I need that card back ASAP I can't wait a year to get that back. There's way too many people that are just getting their Tyler Hero cards back right now. That's right. Well, that's the that's that's a whole other sort of discussion. Is that if I send cards in to be graded, I'm willing to be paid. They're not cards I'm going to be flipping right away. They're going to be cards that I'm kind of okay with waiting on. But again, I haven't sent anything in for grading since the slow since the slowdown started because I yeah, I don't I'll just wait until and the and the, the it's just cost prohibitive for a lot of cards that I would grade. But back to the wastefulness discussion, these are cards that would be permanent collection and, and in my opinion, at least worthy of grading, not not a flavor of the week, uh, you know, 18-year-old or 20-year-old rookie sort of thing. Uh, Beavis Card says, crazy thing is Curry broke the record and still has so many years left, right? Don't forget that. Well, well said and uh, definitely an important point to make. Laura says, watch out, Ovechkin is next. Yeah, I mean, Ovechkin is... Uh, is Closing in on a very important record, maybe the most important record in all of hockey, being the most goals scored for a career. And, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky was just quoted as saying recently, like in the last week or so, that there's no no doubt that, that Ovechkin will break his record. I still think there is a doubt. I'm, I'm more skeptical than most on that, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. How many goals away is he? Like 150 or something like that, 160 in there somewhere. Well, I'll tell you, Ovechkin, his cards have been trending up 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 because when i look on card ladder every day i'm on card ladder his he's his cards are like in the top three of guys that their values are just going like this hunter they certainly are it's nice to see for a hockey guy a hockey player and a hockey card get so much attention especially from non-traditional hockey collectors i like i do like to see that for sure sasquatch card shop says lebron and jordan are tier one Curry is just below with Kobe. Yeah, fair. I, I can. I'm not going to argue with that or that. They're all, yeah. Tier, and I'm just mixing those two into one overall bigger tier. But I hear it. I hear it for sure. Curry is going to put that record off the charts. Says Muscle Cars. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's for sure. Foul Fireball says Lux is not a bust. I can't speak to that. I don't, I don't know much about Gavin Lux, but. Glad to hear that someone, there you go, someone still likes him or feels he's not a bust, so maybe there's some hope for all those slabs, if nothing else. Um, Beavis says, my wife doesn't follow sports, and she knows and likes Steph Curry. He is pop culture. That is so key. Pop culture is really where, if you want to, 
if you want to hone in on a player and you want to make sure that they're going to have value for decades, not months, not just to quit, not just till the next card show you can flip the cards at, but for, for decades, look at who has an impact on pop culture. So well said Beavis. That's very important. And I want to say hello to Corey Carr. Merry Christmas. Uh, and thank you for joining. All right. I want to, uh, I'm going to just, again, mention we've had people coming and going. So if anyone out there wants to take a shot to win VIP tickets to the Mint Collective, it is on the ticker right now. 990, there's two tickets are each worth $999. You can go to sports car or sorry, the mintcollective.com slash sports cards live dash sweepstakes. Fill out the form and enter to win two tickets uh, courtesy of the Mint Collective and Sports Cards Live. Although, to be honest, they're just not enough enough. <laughs> I'm not giving anything away. I'm I'm just able to uh, to offer them on behalf of the, the generosity of the Mint Collective. So thanks to them for uh, allowing the Sports Cards Live audience to have a shot at a couple tickets. I do appreciate that. And I also will mention, while I have your attention, I will be doing my second ever live whatnot stream on December 28th at 6.30 Pacific, one-minute hockey singles, goats only, one-minute auctions, starting at a dollar. It's going to be fun. I've got like 50 cards picked out to, to do that with. And wow. I had a ton of fun last time. I'm hoping to have a ton of fun this time. So come on out and uh, and check out the WhatNot app. It's uh, it's Actually, I watched Logan Paul open up a box of, uh, of, the, of the original Pokemon today, and every pack was a giveaway. It was pretty cool. I didn't win anything, but I tried. I tried. All right. Uh, here we go. Let's see. Jay Tillman says, with technology and laser printers, you don't send a card into a third party to get graded. You send it in to get authenticated. Like, I love the second half of that comment. That's one thing that with, with the proliferation of new grading companies that have hit our hobby in the last year, 18 months, I think a lot of the hobby forgot that the primary function of these companies, in my opinion, at least, is the authentication. Authenticate, then grade. If you're just in, in it for grading, then you need to let people know that your, the cards inside the cases might not be real. Uh, one unnamed grading company has been having a lot of issues with that lately. And, uh, oh, yeah. and you know, it's, it's a buyer beware sort of thing out there. And, um, but I just, I, I would just encourage people to keep in mind that the authentication is, it's, it underlies everything that grading stands on, in my opinion. I mean, grading is important, of course. Condition is very important, but condition is irrelevant if the card isn't real. So I agree with that. But as far as you don't send it in to get graded, I, I think you do because laser printers and laser technology if you've looked at cards out of the packs recently they come out off center they come out with 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 dimples they come out with 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 print dots all sorts of issues can happen so um i'm not necessarily on board with the first half of jay tillman's comment but i'm definitely on board with the second half of it and thank you for the comment jay let's see what bird says are you noticing the current hate for base cards is impacting base card values from the past 30 years at large seems to be an anti base rhetoric is even affecting low pop cards from circuit 2000 i have not noticed that birds on the bat how about you rob have you noticed that uh it's been kind of going back in time and affecting older base cards uh i mean i've definitely picked up on a anti-base card movement i don't even know if i want to call it a movement but an attitude absolutely um as far as it 
affecting older low pop cards. I'm not so sure about that. Um, you know, you could be right, you know, and when I think about when I think about that, I think about the goats like, okay, it has Kobe's base tops rookie been impacted, has LeBron's base rookie been impacted, um, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade. I don't know, maybe. Um, but I, I definitely have heard a lot of anti base rhetoric for sure. I have. Yeah. It's and it's not it's not a new thing. It's really been ever since the ever since the hit became a thing, the jersey card, the autograph. Look at any breaker. And this isn't a, this isn't just breakers in the 2020s. This goes back to the earliest of the breakers in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, they weren't even looking to see who the base cards were of. It was straight to the hit. Here's the hit. Base goes in a pile. Sometimes they don't even ship it. So bases, you know, some base cards are just, they're, they just don't get any respect, and they haven't for a long time. That's terrible. If I bought into a break, which, by the way, I never do. I bought into a break once. It was just so I could say I did, and I never have after that. I think it's a – personally, I think it's a complete waste of money. I, I kind of chalk it up to gambling, and, and I'm not really a gambler. Uh, but if I ever bought into a break and the breaker just chucked my base card that I paid money for off to the side and never shipped it to me, I would probably be pretty pissed off. Yeah. And I think a lot of breakers will allow you to request it. Some probably will just say no, but I think you have to then you just have to vet your breaker if you're, you know, if yeah. you're uh, looking to do that and make sure that you get your base. That's a good question to ask before you buy in, right? Do I get yeah. my base? And I, I've seen people <laughs> ask that question before. I want to go to uh, Alexander's comment here. It says even vintage 61 Fleers are down. The whole market is down 50 to 70%, but long-term great buying opportunity. I mean, I... I don't, I, I don't understand this comment, Alexander. What I don't understand is the when we say the whole market is down, I, I just know 100% that's not true. I, I, I have evidence that the whole market yeah. is not down 50 to 70%. There are parts of the market that are up that are up greatly. So that's that's not factual. But but for the part of the market that is down 50 to 70%, there is some great, there are some great buying opportunities there, I would say as well. The other thing is that what's the what's your horizon here? Is the whole market the whole market down 50 to 70 percent since March or is it down since you know 2018 because we know it's not down since 2018 so it really depends on your on your perspective and your your horizon uh how long you've been in the hobby how long you plan to stay in the hobby all those sorts of things will impact that but I can't get behind the whole market being down uh part of that Alexander Beva says it's all demand driven. Base cards could have a place if fanatics helps grow the hobby. Ten or twenty thousand might not be a high pop if the player is relevant. Might not be. I've been saying that for a while. Might not be. Big Daddy, cool. Can you please share which grading company is not doing? You alluded, but it, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't on purpose. So no, I will not. Joe Perot says, as collectors, we are lucky and perhaps wise to have multiple approaches. That's a that's and I like how it goes dot 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 because we're we're open ended there you know we are lucky and perhaps wise to have multiple approaches it's a bit of diversification right it, you're you're kind of yeah. yeah right you're you're I like not putting all your eggs in one basket kind of thing you know I'm not saying I'm going to invest in 
equally in goats and prospects. But yeah, I mean, why not put a little money out there, you know, on one or two prospects, maybe of my favorite team or maybe one prospect I feel good about, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I think that's part of having a little bit of fun in it. Yeah. Yeah. Alex at the end, uh, I'm buying it all up. Awesome. I mean, that's, that's a little, and it's somewhat contrary. And a lot of people, you know, can't do that. They can't, they, they, they can't buy the dip or sell, or sell the, or sell the high, right? It's, I have trouble selling the high. I, I don't because number one, I don't know where the high is all the time or ever really. And the more valuable cards get, the more we kind of like them. Now we risk that they come down in value. And that's happened to a lot of cards over the past year for sure. But it's, it's, but it's part of the ride of being a collector and not not just a, a, a dealer or, a, or a, a flipper, if you will. It's a, you know, if you are collecting, if you're into your collection for the long term, you're going to have to ride those, ride those peaks and valleys. But over time, they trend upwards. That's what I've learned in my decades in the hobby. It trends upwards over time. There we go. Albert Jones nails it. Depends if you're purely a collector or not. Agree. Agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. So. Rob, let's hear a little bit. You you you've been back in the hobby for about a year now. You came back in last year, I think you said. What I mean, if you can think of something else that we haven't talked about already tonight, what has impressed you since you've come back? What's what's surprised you? What's disappointed you? Uh kind of high level the last year. Where where is your uh, where's your head at just overall in the hobby? Yeah, well, I tell you, I think I think probably what impressed me the most is how educated the buyer is now. There's so much information out there at our fingertips, and most of us know how to utilize that stuff. I mean, it's all out there. We're all looking at most of basically the same information you know we're we're looking up the same comps we're looking to see what what cards went for we have a card ladder app you know or apps like that that are uh available to us so we can see the lifespan of this card what did this card sell for two years ago what did it sell for six months ago and we can see these kind of line graphs to see where certain dips are and and really leave it up to us to kind of figure out what we want to do with that information so getting back into the hobby even even from when i kind of took a dip out in 2012 you know i came back then for a little bit and and bought up a bunch of stuff that I really liked and 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 was big into and then kind of went away again. But to see how mature the hobby has gotten just in terms of um information. It's it's unbelievable. It's 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 a testament to I think guys like you, Jeremy, that have that have been here for years and 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 you know and the younger guys coming into saying, whoa, whoa we need to improve some of this stuff. You know, we need to, we need to bring some of our new school mentality. We need to, uh, we have all this information on the web. Let's try to streamline it to buyers. It's amazing. Modernizing it almost right. Bring it into the 21st century. Cause, uh, this hobby has been around for so long. So, and I think that's what we've seen. And, you know, I remember going into 2021 my show, other shows, you'd hear people talking about what's going to happen next year. And it was it was things like more data, more consolidation, more 
innovation, more entrepreneurialism going on in the hobby. And what happened in 2021? All of that happened. It all it all happened. And, and then some. And then some bombs got dropped on us too. Fanatics dropped the bomb on us, just in case anyone wasn't picking up what I was getting at there. But um, and now we're we're here we are at the end of 2021, and we're wondering what's gonna happen next year. And what I like, I like that. Uh, at the beginning of the year, at the end of January, I'm going to go to this Mint Collective event in Vegas, and a lot of hobby minds are going to be there, and we're going to be sort of brainstorming and, and talking and panel discussions and maybe get a bit of insight into what might be coming next year. I don't know for sure, but let me ask you this. Do you have any predictions for what might happen in 2022 Any in any aspect of the hobby? does any? And I'll put it out to the chat as well, guys. Does anyone out there have any predictions? What do you predict? might happen in 2022 in any area of the hobby um and rob not just for you what do you do you have a prediction because you may not is there something you'd like to see happen is there something you're looking forward to in 2022 well yeah that's a great question you know i don't know if i have any predictions per se uh but I definitely agree with you that one of the biggest words, you know, one of the biggest kind of keywords that I saw in 2021 was consolidation. And I think a big part of the reason is because we've come to realize, not that we didn't know this before, but what we've come to realize that this can be a volatile market. And when it comes to high-end cards, high-end cards don't always have the same volatility. And I know you were talking before you were kind of alluding to, well, not everything's down. And when it comes to high end, not a ton of high end is down. I think a lot of low end is down and some mid end is down. And I'm not saying some high end isn't, but I think for the most part, most people do want to figure out how to level up, how to take the cards that they have and, take those five mid-end cards and turn it into one high-end card how to take those five thousand dollar cards and turn it into a single five thousand dollar card how to do those things and 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 the idea of leveling up and consolidating into that bigger card because i think we all have dreams of being able to purchase that hundred thousand dollar card we all have dreams of being able to, I think most of us anyways, of being able to make that $780,000 splash on a Steph Curry because we know that long-term or even short-term, that guy, those two guys might be able to double their money on that Steph Curry. So how do we put ourselves in a position to where we might be able to dream about that? Um, so consolidation, leveling up, I know for me anyways, that's what's going to be big. And I think with with Netflix, with a lot of different YouTube shows, there's a lot of different YouTube shows that are that are uh, almost like reality based, you know, uh, that are filming out of card shops and stuff. I think the more media attention we get, along with fanatics, obviously, um, I think that the hobby will grow. I'm very bullish on on the hobby really growing um, in the next, say, three to five years for sure. Yeah, and if Fanatics has anything to say about that, I think it'll it'll have to happen. They they need the hobby to grow. So 
the the fanatic the power of of, of fanatics behind that uh, and marketing could could definitely happen. But you mentioned you know the consolidation, and so you, so what you're kind of saying then is that you you think or you know for yourself maybe for more people that the consult when we talk about there's two different consolidations that I think of. One is as a collector, we have a bunch of say hundred dollar cards. We want a thousand dollar card, so we're going to sell ten hundred dollar cards to move into one thousand dollar card. That's consolidation. I'm, I'm more into reverse consolidation myself, but that's consolidation. The other consolidation is at, 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 the, uh, at, the, at the industry level where we see, you know, like, for example, uh, Collector's Universe go, gets acquired and then, yeah. and, then, and then it goes and it acquires Golden Auctions. It goes and it acquires Card Ladder. You know, who knows what's going to happen in terms of uh, fanatics maybe consolidating with a tops or a panini or some other card company who knows but there's that con- there's that level of consolidation in the hobby uh, as well right now so i don't i don't have any big predictions for 2022 i predict that i'm going to love it still i predict that i'm going to continue <laughs> to love the hobby i mean that's been a, a that's been a constant prediction for me for my whole life so i don't see that changing I predict that we're gonna um, we're gonna continue to learn more and grow more um, because there's just access to information that you know more and more information that what we didn't have access to before. I think that's good, but that's really it. I, I predict that it's just gonna be another another great year in the hobby. I mean, even even bad years for the market aren't necessarily bad years for the hobby. It depends on your approach. Everyone's gonna have a different experience. Right, we had the person in the in the chat here, um, Alexander, who's like the the worse it gets, the better the year is for him because he's buying it all up, right? He's buying the lows, so that's that's uh, that's somebody making uh, making lemonade out of lemon sort of thing. So good for him. Um, let's go to a couple of comments. Oh, Richard says non sports cards. Richard Goring, I think he I think that came in when he was thinking like what might be big next year. Maybe non sports cards are going to continue to get uh, to their rise, which they've already. They've already been on birds on the bat says in 2022 PSA reopens value service and it slaughters the relevance of the other grading services. Some are bought out, others fold and others drift into obscurity. I don't know why any, I don't know why they buy any of why any of these new companies would be buyable right now. I mean, I'm not in the position to buy one of them. I don't own a PSA or a, or a Beckett, but I don't know why you'd buy one of these smaller grading companies if you were in their position. That's just me. Maybe there's a good reason for it. And cards in non-PSA slabs start to drop in value more precipitously than we've seen thus far. I can't can't see that not happening. Rich Frank says, Tops goes absolutely crazy and just leaves the printers on. That's what I see coming. That's not an option though, Rich, right? They don't have printers. My understanding is they don't have printers, so they can't just leave them on. They have to share that capacity with the other companies. There's only a couple of... Uh, printing companies that all the com- that all, that all the card companies use so but they're going to print as much as they can i think that 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 goes though saying alexander is super bullish for the hobby yeah you've proven that today and i'm i think that's great alexander jameson says 2022 rare wax from important years from panini and tops start to disappear yeah makes sense muscle car says wax is the best long-term hold at this point in my opinion it is. It is. I think you got to be very careful which ones have redemptions and what redemptions expire. And remember that rookies, r- rookie cards 
those players are great prospects for a finite amount of time. And then they either, they either become superstars or stars or they become marginal and no one cares anymore. So wax is bad. Yeah. Some of it is, some of it isn't. I, I, I'm not as bullish on wax as ever, as many other people are. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where you, you know, look, look at, look at uh, Zion wax. It's not even that old and what's happened to it. You know, it has fallen in value. It doesn't take much, but if you're looking at vintage wax, you know, yeah, you, you, you can't <laughs> vintage wax. There we are throwing the term out loosely. Like we even know what it means. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just keep on going. More predictions. Haas Bonaventure predicts 2011, 13 to 15 tops chrome football hobby boxes will 2 to 3x in price when people realize you can pull Brady refractors for under 400 a box. There you go. There's, see, that's that's a savvy type of comment there and a generous one too by Haas because maybe there's real opportunity there and uh, and now you're sharing it. So thanks for that suggestion. Bird says, the reasons I see to buy out a grading competitor are strictly to incorporate their infrastructure, their grading teams towards scaling the greater PSA machine and to have satellite grading locations. Maybe, maybe, but it depends what kind of leases they have. It depends if the, how good the staff is. Maybe. I'll give that one a, a big a big old maybe, Birds on the bat. As far as m- me, I'm not, nothing I say is definitive. It's just my opinion. <laughs> LGCOPG says, Every set will have a gazillion one of ones. I know there's people that are worried about that, and I think that's a that's a worthy a, a worthy thing to be worried about. John Wee says thanks for the shout out on the center stage app a few weeks ago. Loving the content as always. You are welcome, John Wee, who does have. Let's do another shout out. They have an app called Center Stage. You point it at a card, and it recognizes the card almost exactly every time, and you can get some uh, sales history on it. Check out Center Stage in the you uh, in the in the uh, app stores. Jim says 2022 will be the rise of music cards. Yeah, I'll be all right with that. I stocked up on my music cards, so I'm okay with that happening, Jim. And uh, you know, if I stock up on something, I, I like it, but I think there's potential as well. Bird, okay. PSA could just as likely, if not more, let the competition just struggle instead. Yeah, that's what I think they'll end up doing. I don't know why PSA would buy any, any second tier grading company. It just it's not like they need the leases. It's not like they need the, maybe they need the staff. I can see the staff. They don't need the infrastructure. They definitely don't need the infrastructure. Maybe they need the staff. That's what I could see. But then why would you buy the company? Why don't you just get the employees? Just make them offers. Rob, any comments thus far? I could keep on going through comments, but I want to keep you. Uh, no, I mean, talking. all, all great points for sure. All great points. Um, Yeah. Cool. Let's go. Let's work through. There's three more comments here, and then we'll go. We'll, I'll go to one more bullet, and then we'll start to wrap this up. Alex says historically, cards appreciated steady 10% plus per uh, percent per year gains through 08 as an al- as an alternative asset. It outperformed most other markets if overheated, consolidated, and should resume steady gains again. I th- I think so. I think we. I think 2021 was a very volatile year, and 2022 should be more stable that's my I'll, I'll put that out there as a prediction 2022 will be more stable for the values of good cards i say that without defining it um compared to 2021 alex says we know the flare mjpsa 10 will be a million dollar card only question is uh when 
yeah, when will it be a million dollar card? I think I said recently within, I thought it would be within five years. So how about you, Rob? You want to take a, a stab at when you think the MJ PSA 10 FLIR card will be a million dollar card? PSA 10. Um, yeah, I think it's safe to say within five years. Uh, it, it seems like that that high that it went for last year was kind of flukish, you know? Um, and And I think someone probably looks back on that feeling like they overpaid. Um, but, but yeah, I would probably say within five years for sure, especially with the, with, with how big the hobby gets and how many, how much new money comes in. And I think that's what it comes down to, you know, is, is that new money? Cause I think a lot of new money came in, you know, in the, within the last two years. And you mentioned earlier about just the, all the reality type shows. And now we've got Ken Golden, He's yeah. going to be having a Netflix series. I mean, that has to have an impact on the hobby. If 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 COVID if COVID caused so many people to go look in their basements and attics for their old uh, their childhood card collection, and I know for a fact, I've had people like in my circles tell me like they're into cards. I saw somebody in a Facebook group who I knew through my professional world, and I messaged him. Hey, nice to know you're in cards. I'm into cards too. He goes, Yeah. Ever since COVID, I got back into it. Like legit. That's how it happened. More and more people are doing that. So now, if COVID can do that, and and I know COVID is 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 more pervasive than 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 the Netflix is, but Netflix, as far as like first world countries goes, is pretty uh, pretty widespread. And with uh, having a, a series on there, you know, featuring Ken Golden, who many call the face of our hobby right now, I mean, it's uh, legit going to make him even more the face of the hobby with him having a show out there. And is that what's that going to do? What, what yeah. impact will that have? It's not the only thing having an impact, but it will have an impact. I think you can't deny that it will have an impact of some sort. Yeah. How do you measure it? You can't, but yeah. the impact will be there. <laughs> David, your 92 NBA hologram uh, will not go up in value. I don't think. <laughs> I just don't think anyone cares about those cards anymore. <laughs> Joe makes a makes, you know, this is a this is an approach right here. I'm just waiting this whole grading thing out. Raw ain't that bad to which Laura gives a round of applause. Back to vintage. Bobby speaks up and says, to reiterate, vintage is around a 20-year retrospective to look back at one's fleeting memories of their age and innocence. This happens generally around 30 to 35 years old. We all have our own vintage. And he said earlier, and he did the math, and I, I went by the comment, but when you are, he sort of said it's, puberty plus like 18 years or something so when you're 30 years old you start looking back to when you were 12 and that's kind of what vintage is to you now he's signed rounding it to 20 which makes sense so yeah again back to the conversation we spent an hour talking about earlier is what is vintage and everyone has their own definitions as we saw um i do believe it's a moving target if you're using the word vintage we need we need a different set of terms to to define the different eras of our, of our hobby. Yeah. And Haas Bond Adventures as PSA will start leaning into reslabbing more, i.e. advertising reslabs, bulk discounts, etc., as it's a way to make more money without being dependent on a grader, which is their bottleneck. Reslabbing. Okay. Reslabs and bulk. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Reslabs. Reslabs are something that I think a lot of people would like to have just because they like the newer holder. So that's a, that's a fair prediction, Haas Bonaventure. All right. Let's talk a bit about your, we talked, we touched on your experience at card shows, Rob. I want to touch, and I hope you're okay keeping on going. This is the Christmas Day episode. Yeah. 
we've got well over 100 people. And so I don't really want to end it yet, even though we're past two hours. I'm willing to keep going if you are. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a bit about your, you know, you came back into the hobby. You dove into doing card shows. You've got, or maybe we didn't get into that enough yet, but you've been doing, you've got 10 shows under your belt. If you could say to the audience right now, what has been, you know, because a lot of people have never set up at a card show and you're newer to it, but you've quickly immersed yourself in it. What is one sort of benefit or um, value that you have gained from setting up a card shows that you think that you didn't expect? So what could some people who, you know, maybe haven't ever set up, what do you think they, people could, how do you think people could benefit by setting up a card show that they may not expect? Well, let me just say that I think the more hobby involvement you have, the more opportunity will present itself. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't get as any, as, as more obvious than that. You know, I, I always like, like many collectors, I always was like, I don't know what I set up at a card show. I don't think I want to sell my own cards. Like these are like mine. I, I don't, I would hurt me to sell my cards, you know? And, and I went to a card show, spoke with a, spoke with a guy. He was a little bit younger than me. He's like, yeah, you could set up. He's like, Oh, that guy, there's the promoter over there. He charges 30 bucks to set up. It's not bad. It's pretty cool. So I, I did my first show. Wasn't anything crazy. Then I did my second show. And that was huge. The second show was just nonstop action. And the opportunities that continue to present itself, and I don't even just mean with people buying cards, but with people bringing me their cards, saying, hey, would you buy this? Hey, would you want to trade for this? Hey, I like that. Would you do this? It just turned into something amazing. And through that, I've been able to really continue to really build some strong relationships in the hobby just by participating. And, and, and I did a, an episode of my podcast that was called participation is required because I talked about how important it is for me to be out there. Participation is required. Social media, in-person shows, um, local card store you know there's there's all these different facets of the hobby that if i'm just picking and choosing what i'm doing i'm not going to really be able to capitalize the way i would if i really was into it and i think by setting up at shows and building those relationships that was the big missing piece that i had in my hobby journey so far and being able to do that has just been it's been incredible i've been able to level up my personal collection at a speed of like 10 X that I would have been able to, if I was just kind of sitting back primarily only buying. So it's really the social aspect for you and everything that, 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 that has brought since then in terms of other opportunities and the relationships and how many, let me ask you this, like at your first card show, how many times did you find yourself going into your phone and either following that person who's standing across from you on Instagram or putting their phone number in your cell phone so you'd have their contact information. How many times did you do that the first show and then the second show? Well, the first show wasn't that great of a show. And, and the thing is, I think the more I do shows, the more you start to really learn. Because as a collector, I think I know. As a collector, I think I know what I want to see. But 
it's by doing more shows I realize what works and what doesn't work. So my first show, I really didn't do it that much. Uh, I feel like I didn't do it that much. And then my second show and then third show, fourth show, all the way up to my 10th show, I find myself doing that constantly. And, you know, but really it's like, it's like, hey, give me a follow on Instagram. I'll definitely follow you back kind of thing, you know. Um, but just just in terms of why do you ask that i'm curious i'm curious well, what you're because that's what i expected i expected you to i you, you kind of proved my point that the first show you do you might not be thinking so much about it because you're not you're not that privy to what the benefits of being at a show or setting up at a show are going to be if it's your first time say setting up so you might not think to my to yourself oh i'm going to i'm going to build my network i'm going to do i'm going to grow my hobby network because that's going to bring value to me both from a adding cards to your collection, but also just from a general satisfaction or gratification from being in the hobby because we are social animals. So it makes yeah. sense that you want to grow your social network. The first time you said you hardly did it. And then you said, but the second one more and the third and the fourth, it was constant. So you went from not doing it at all to constantly doing it. And that was my point is that you may not realize it with if you're not already going to or setting up at card shows, but that in-person experience participation is required. It's good. You're going to naturally start to build your network and that's going to lead to other things like somebody knowing that you collect this player and they remember, and they're going to message you on Instagram or send you a text message. Could you exchange phone number and say, Hey, do you need this card? And you'll be like, yes, I do. Or you'll be like, no, I don't, but I know who does. And it's just helping create commerce in the, in the hobby creating that liquidity, moving cards around. Cards need to move around in our hobby. Otherwise, it stagnates. And, and the more of these contacts that you add to your, to your uh, what was it called, the Rolodex, the, the more active you will be. So yeah, that's why. I just wanted, I wanted you to kind of prove that point for me. And, and yeah. you, you did bang on. So I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and for me, my cards it's like food in my refrigerator there needs to be movement there needs to be movement and and the beautiful thing is you know when i really come across that card that ends up kind of coming within my my sphere i can take it i can pluck it out boom put it right put it right on my pc and kind of keep it moving and yeah. uh and and without really being active in this hobby i wouldn't have those kind of opportunities it's exactly right. It's exactly right. So you mentioned your podcast and you've mentioned a couple of the titles of them, like Participation Required. I listened to that in its entirety. I uh, really appreciated it. It kind of verified a bunch of things that I do and think and feel. And But it's always nice to hear other people um, kind of, you know, have those same ideas. I want to ask, why did you start your podcast? You came into the hobby last year and you pretty quickly started a podcast. Why did you start it? What did you think you were going to bring to your audience? to be honest, I didn't know if I was going to bring anything and I still, I'm still not sure, you know, what I bring. You bring, you, know. you bring. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but you know, it's, it's my, my career is mental health. My career is, you know, being a therapist and, and trying to empower people. And if I can do that, but mix it with cards as well, you know, really, I think, when I started the podcast, all I want to do is document my journey as a collector. But very quickly, 
I started to realize and see the evolution that was happening in myself. I was evolving from someone that had never really sold a card before to someone that was setting up at shows and to someone that just was really rocking and rolling in all facets of the hobby, you know, and, uh, and, and, and really, I think, you know, for me talking about participation is required. There's like five, five main parts for me that the hobby make up. And it sounds like, how could, how does anyone have that much time, free time to dedicate to a hobby? But when you start to, when I start to really, immerse myself in the hobby and when i start to just make it part of my daily routine it doesn't really feel like work i'm able to be active on instagram you know just here and there throughout the day i'm able to be on active on ebay here and there throughout the day i might be able to stop by my local card shop once every two weeks i might be able to go to a, a local show once every two weeks and by doing those things i'm, I'm pretty active in the hobby all of a sudden yeah it's that there you go so you're just you're really fulfilling your own prophecy there by you know you here you are it's like you you came out with a podcast titled participation required because you learned from firsthand experience that by participating you were gaining so much more value for yourself and enjoying your hobby that much more by participation so makes makes good sense I want to bring up this comment from Alexander. I think it's a great comment. It says, relationships are everything. Shows make it easier, but it can be done online through Instagram, eBay, forums, Facebook groups, et cetera. Those connections are what allow fast growth. And mm. Alex nails it right there. That's exactly right. And when you're doing it on social media, you don't have that ability to go up to somebody and have that face-to-face that -face meeting like you do at a card show. And you know how you know what they say, Rob? They say that people we judge each other within like what seven tenths of a second. We know if we're going to like somebody or not. When in terms of meeting them, it's a little bit different on social media because you can you can find an account, you can go look at their page, scroll down, maybe look for a picture of them to see what they look like. Maybe look to see do they post meals or is it just cards? Are they doing food and experiences <laughs> or just cards? You know, so it's it's a different sort of way. But there is complete merit in the fact that you can build a network on Instagram. You can build a network on Facebook. Tons of people have done it. But as Alex says, shows do make it easier because now you have that in-person uh, advantage, I'll call it, over simply the Instagram piece. Because even if it's on Instagram or Facebook, you still, you haven't, once you meet that somebody in person, that's like that, that, that relationship, the bond starts to form, let's say. You know, it might not be a strong bond, but it's a bond nonetheless, because we have had that in-person interaction before. Hopefully it was, a, it was a positive interaction and it's going to help grow that relationship. But it is possible to be done online as well. And some people are masters at it. Some people are really good at, at that social media introduction or that first DM that you receive from somebody unsolicited. I mean, I get I get my share of those unsolicited DMs and some of them are some of them I just like, well, you couldn't even sign off with your name. Like put your name on there at least. Cause if I go to your page and I don't see your name, I don't know what to call you. I don't know what your gender is. It makes it awkward for me to write back. Some people are, are experts at it. You know, they, they write you that opening direct message, you know, with like that, maybe a, maybe a compliment to start, maybe 
letting you know they they watched you or they like your page, they like your collection, and then they might have an ask or whatever it may be. And then they sign off and say, thanks, Rob. You know, okay, at least I know this person's name. That's the first thing I look for when I get a, an unsolicited uh, DM in my on my Instagram is, do, do I have a name for this for this account? If yeah. not, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's harder to humanize you, you know? Yeah. Sorry, a bit of a rant there, but. No, yeah. I'm sure you get your share of, of unsolicited DMs at this point, uh, seeing you're putting yourself out there and you've got a very popular podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I love the interaction with people. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's, um, you know, take take the good with the bad, you know, but I, I, I try to give, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. My wife tells me I've, I'm, I, I'm, she's like, you always think the good of people. You always think the good. Of, and I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, I think that sometimes, you know, I, I chalk it up as sometimes people just, it, it gets lost in translation sometimes through text. So I like to think everyone is, um, is pretty good and trustworthy until they screw me over. <laughs> there you go. Innocent yeah. until proven guilty. Yeah. Uh, Laura, Laura says that would be vintage communication, Jeremy, the part where people put their names <laughs> at the end of their messages. Right. And you only need to do it once. I said to somebody else, I said, like, I don't know who you are. This happened. It was so funny, Rob, this guy who I'm buddies with, like in the hobby through being at card shows together for the, for the better of 10 years. His name's Peter. Maybe he's watching right now. He starts sending me some DMS on Instagram. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know, but I'm communicating with him. Very friendly back and forth. At one point I had to be like, I'm sorry, what's your name? Like, who are, do I know you? He's like, man, it's Peter in Edmonton. I'm like, Oh, Pete, of course it's you. But I didn't know because your, your, your account name on Instagram is one thing. You don't have your name anywhere in there. I can't find a picture of you in your, on your page. It's hard to keep track of people's real names. Never mind their Instagram name, yeah. especially when you're taught, when you've got like, when your DM role is you know it could be a couple hundred deep it's yeah. like i don't please yeah. i i appeal to people please put your name in your instagram bio please i think it just goes a long way it's it's helpful it's helpful i find it would be very helpful i predict that in 2022 more people will put their actual first name maybe their last name too in their instagram profile <laughs> i love it i love it man so Anything else you want to you want to tell the audience about your your podcast your your partnership podcast with Amil called the Bounce? Uh, anywhere else people can find you before we start to wind down? No, yeah, I, I think the best place to really find me is probably going to be on Instagram uh, at Sports Card Therapist. And you know, a, a big thing that you know I talk about on the podcast it's actually in the opening opening intro song or the intro of the podcast is self-care in our personal life equals self-care in our collecting. You know, I, I truly believe that if we practice, you know, good habits and good self-care and taking care of ourself, our mind, body, and spirit and all that jazz in our personal life, I believe that you're going to, you're going to see that in, in your collecting. And I believe that if, if we struggle with discipline, if we struggle in other areas of our life, like spending, um, that stuff's going to come into our, our hobby as well. You know, um, I never want to get so deep into the hobby that, you know, now I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. Now, you know, now I'm having marital problems because 
cards are just completely taking over my life. Like, like for me, I need to have a balance. And that's why, like I talked about earlier, direction is so important, right? Direction in life and direction in our collecting. Like, like what am I collecting? What, what, what goals do I have for this year for my collecting? And they could always change along the way. If, if, if my goal is to go to Florida, but halfway there, I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I think I want to, I think I want to go to Wyoming, you know, like I can do that. But as long as I have some sort of direction along the way, you know, at least I know where I'm going. So yeah, I think self-care in our personal life equals self-care in our collecting, truly. And when I say self-care, I mean having a support network, having people in our life that we can trust, having people in our life that we value, having good relationships in our life. Um, I'm a big advocate for for having a professional to talk to, having a therapist to talk to, even if you're not going through a a life crisis. I have my own therapist that I talk to because sometimes I just have stuff in my head that I need to work out that maybe I don't want to put on my wife. You know what I mean? So, um, just having people in our life that we know we can count on, um, is a huge part for me anyways of my balance. That's, that's some good stuff there, man. I, I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. And, uh, it's kind of a, you know, it spans outside the hobby, right? You're talking about self-care outside the hobby, self-care yeah. equals self-care in the hobby. That's good advice. You talk about talking to, to people. It's nice to have people to talk to. Is it weird that I talk to my cards and sometimes they talk back to me? <laughs> is that a little strange? You know what? The look that you, that you gave the camera, right? As you were asking that, like that, that's what made it all right. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's what made it all right. Right on. Good, good, good. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Beavis Cards, just subscribe to Sports Card Therapist. Looking forward to the content. Thank you guys both for all the knowledge. Thank you, Thank Beavis. You. There you go. Make sure you guys are subscribing to Rob's. If there's, if you haven't noticed, it's a it's a great podcast. Just to, He's got a relaxing nature about him, as you can tell. It's a nice, easy listen to his, to his podcast. I, I, I do really enjoy them. Make sure you guys check them out. If you haven't yet, I'm sure some of you even have. I thought I hope you caught this comment from earlier from Bless and Breaks. The voices nowhere the same, but Rob could play Dana White in the movie, which is bang on true. Listen, sure do you can. know how many people say the Dana White thing? I mean, why Everybody. can't they say Mel Gibson or John Travolta? Why do well, I don't look be like because you don't because you don't look like those guys? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's be self-care, realism, practical. Know, yeah. Let's be realistic here. You're not, Listen, not, if, if 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 it's not Dana White, I want to play Jeremy Lee in his uh in his uh his movie. Well, we have the same hairstyle, so yep, you got one thing one thing covered there for sure. Um, okay, well, we are we are winding down. I think we covered. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes here. I think we covered just about everything that we we, we kind of talked about, and wanted to, in, in a in a roundabout sort of way. So I'm really happy with with uh, what we got out of you here tonight, Rob. I think it was. It was great, man. Just how I envisioned tonight's show to go. Uh, before we do say some goodbyes, I want to just run through a few things with, with everybody, if, if I may. Uh, let you know. Check out the uh, – take a look at the ticker. I'm just going to run through a few things on the ticker right now. So I'm doing a series on the Mint Collective YouTube channel called Today's Collector. Short, half hour, short. Short for me, half hour episodes. Uh, we've got five, four done, a fifth one coming, maybe one or two more. 
Um, three of them are already published. Nat Turner is is on episode number two. I'll throw his name out there because you all have heard of Nat. So check that out among the other episodes. Again, the Mint Collective, guys, staying on topic at the end of January. If you want a chance to win one of two VIP tickets with a value of $999, the link is on the, it's in the ticker right now, themintcollective.com slash live dash sweepstakes and there's a form to enter and you can have a chance to win there's there it is right now have a look at that link that's where you go to enter the sweepstakes to win uh the tickets to the vip uh, vip tickets to the mint collective whatnot channel sponsor channel supporter i will be doing a live stream on the whatnot app on tuesday the 28th at 6 30 p.m pacific goats only hockey singles everything starts at a dollar one minute auctions one minute auctions if there's a bid in the last 10 seconds, it adds, I think, 10 seconds of the clock. So they don't take just a minute, but they go pretty quick and are a ton of fun. So come join me there. If you don't have the app yet, download it. And in order to uh, bid, you do have to give them payment information. So go ahead and do that ahead of time. Upcoming episodes, lots of episodes. We're booked right through January into February now. Couple of uh, couple of potential uh, kind of nice surprise guests in, in, in February, I would say. So keep pay attention to that. And again, tomorrow I will be on Collectible Live, the Collectible YouTube channel um, at 7 o'clock Eastern. Instagram account Empire State Sports Cards will be my guest. His name is Mark Sadov. There it is right there on the Collectible YouTube channel. And again, for Rob, IG is Sports Card Therapist. YouTube, Sports Card Therapist. And he has a website by that same name. Make sure you're checking him out if you are not yet. All right, Lee Haskins says you got a lot of watchers on Christmas Day. That says a lot about your channel, Jeremy. Thank you, Lee. We were we were over 100, 120. We maxed out at I believe at some point today. We were over 120 concurrent viewers, so that's pretty awesome. And thank you for recognizing that, Lee Haskins. Greatly appreciate you, uh, as always, man. As always, you've been here for a while. Birds on the bat. I've been meaning to ask: Do you have an online digital portfolio with scans of your collection? Uh, I do not. I do not. Uh, Birds on the bat. Laura, gentlemen, thank you for your time and knowledge. Happy holidays. Toast you both with a glass of wine. Back at you, Laura. Thank you for that. Richard Goring, you are welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it, Richard. And birds on the bat, as always, thank you. If you're not yet subscribed to Sports Cards Live, guys, hit that subscribe button. Growing that number. We're on the march to 5,000 subscribers. I can't wait to get there. That'll be a big milestone for the channel, especially for a channel that only has that you know episodes are like 90 minutes plus so really appreciate everybody who has subscribed all the loyal loyal viewers really appreciate all of you podcast listeners i know you guys are there in in, in big four so really appreciate that as well that's really all i got rob final uh parting comments from you you're on mute unmute yourself Sorry about that. It has been an absolute blast uh, being here tonight. You know, you guys have been phenomenal. Uh, the the watchers have been phenomenal. You've been great. I mean, everyone's been awesome. So uh, thank you very much, guys, for allowing me to to hang out on your platform for a little while. Hey, man, it's uh, it's been my pleasure having you. We had to we had to rearrange the calendar a couple times, but we got you here. I knew we'd have a great episode. I'm very pleased with it. Uh, I just know there's going to be some good listening, some good quality content for people uh, to listen to on podcasts and and uh, and on the channel as the ne- as the weeks go by. So, thank you, uh, Rob, for joining. Thanks everybody in the 
chat as always on wish everybody a merry christmas if it's your if you celebrate christmas if you do not a sincere happy holidays we have happy new year we are doing a new year's day show jan mm -hmm. one we'll be back a week today so uh Come on back, everybody. We'll see you again. I'm going to read the final parting comments from the chat as we sign off. So, again, thank you, everybody, for joining. Richard, we got you. Barbara, we got you. Bobby says, hit the like button. Thanks, Bobby. and appreciate that. Yeah, hit that like button, guys. If you enjoyed the show, hit the like button. If you did not enjoy the show, hit the like button. Anyway, thank you, Sasquatch. Hospawn Adventure, great to have you. Thank you so much. Says, love the show. Merry Christmas. Rob, appreciate your time. Look forward to catching your show, too. Awesome. Let's spread the love. Rich Frank, appreciate that. Appreciate the follow on Instagram. J Lee underscore sports cards live. All right, that's it. Rob, you hang tight right there. Everybody else, again, thank you for tuning in. You know I appreciate it. We'll see you again. We'll see you on Collectible Live tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Eastern. We'll see you on Whatnot on Tuesday. And we'll be back here on Jan 1 for another episode. Have a great rest of your evening, everybody. Thank you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.